back in studio again. It's good to be back here. Um, once again, taping. I'm joined by my sidekick, Paul Martinez. Hey, everybody. So we've got a uh, good guest, and I want to introduce uh, Lee Busby. Lee came in a long distance, although you've been short distance, only nine miles away here from here, nine minutes away. Yeah. Uh, but uh, thank you for coming to the Military Show. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna go all into different top topics. I think uh, during this conversation, just because there's so much that you've actually accomplished and you're still doing outside of the military. So I think there's a really good piece here that we can dive into. On the phone, though, is Chris Van Sant. Many of you guys may remember him uh, from a few episodes back. And Chris, I can't remember the episode number, and I probably should. Was it two sixty six? Oh, man, I don't remember. Either, <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. All good. Right. I think so. Yeah. No, I'm happy to be here. I'm even more excited that you're uh, that you're having my friend and brother Lee on the show. And, and I'm glad that I get to be a part of it. So thank you, guys. Yeah. I mean, and you're always invited to be a host. I've told you that on the show. So I hope this is one of many and we can get you wrangled in here more often. Hey, this is my test run on a call-in, so I figured if it was safe with anybody, it was safe with Lee. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> and, and, you know, Chris is a little bit of my safety blanket, so. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So let's I'm a start. virtual safety blanket today. <laughs> but I can look over. I can look over and I see him. I'm like, all right, everything is good. I got, my six is covered. Yeah, so we've got uh, we've got him set up on a, like a Skype call and everything so that Lee can see him as well as hear him. That's and, right. Yeah. So, um what is home, Lee? I know where home is now, but what yeah. was home? Like when I'm growing up, I yeah. grew up in Michigan. Where about in Michigan? Uh, Jackson, Michigan, which is just south of Lansing. Oh, okay. About 30 miles or so. My yeah. parents still live in that area. That's cold as hell, that bear. Yeah, I'm not going back. <laughs> that's just... Yeah. I'm not. That's like yeah. brutal cold, right? Right. Yeah. It's cold and it's, you know, it's... I love the seasons, but yeah. it's just yuck. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's certain yeah. times a year to be there and there's certain times not to be there. But that's like anywhere you live. Right. We Chris and I live in in, you know, the Phoenix area, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. Right. Which hurt getting off the plane in Jacksonville to come here. When you hit the humidity, you're like, what the? Yeah. Right. And it's February. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, you know, yeah, it is July, it is. August that, you know, between there, it's, it's rough out there. That's when you that's when you should travel. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a different type of heat, though, right? Well, it, I'm not, it, I've never been to Arizona. It's one of the few places I think really? I've... No, I have not been there. I've been all over the place, but that's one area I have not gone to yet. It's a beautiful desert. You'll have to invite right. me out. Come on out. All right. We so, can do uh, some shows right there within the Tier you Tactical. To, you have to come out for uh, around the uh, Tier Grand opening for our, our second building, our Hard, hard Armor building. Where, where, when cool. is that going to happen? Chris? <laughs> yeah, April. yeah, it'll be it'll be April. Bil building basically finished. It's just touch up stuff now, and uh, we'll be our grand opening should be in, in April sometime. Oh. Super excited about this. Oh, well, tell me about it. Well, we have they we will have two of the largest ballistic presses in North America. So we are going cool. to change the industry on how pressed ballistic armors made. So Jason, who is the owner CEO yeah. of Tier Tactical, um, he invested. He invests back into the company, um, and he he lives by innovate or die, which right. I mean that's what we did for our whole military career. We always planned 
without restrictions, mm -hmm. right? Hey, let's put a plan together. What's the best plan to meet whatever end state you needed? And then you work on that, like mitigate risk or how come you can't do it? Policy says you can't do this. Okay, can we change policy, you know? Um, and that's how we always planned, which bites you a little bit when you transition into civilian world, right? Yeah. My first job when I got out, I, I worked for Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And uh, okay, yeah, it was it was an eye opener. They're, they're pretty structured, very structured, yeah. very very different. In um, yeah, for sure. So in Hewlett Packard, were you there during the time frame where what's a car, was it Carly who led that as a CEO? Wasn't uh, Pierini? Yeah, who? What Carly Fiorini? She ran for president. Yeah, uh, she was the CEO. She was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that, so I was there in. 2016, 2017, um, and they sold off the, a portion of it to DSX. Um, I met a guy, um, and he he interviewed me for this job, and he's like, "You're different." I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "Cause, cause you know, you you put a room full of MBAs together, give them a question, and you're going to be about the same answer from everyone." Yeah. But when you grab guys with our background, you're going to get four or five options that are, you know, different than what the textbook tells you what to do. Because we do plan without constraints, right? And that's different. You know the worst part of working at HPE? What? The veterans. I worked real close with two Marine veteran officers. And it was the worst thing. What, what made that the worst? Yeah. Well, there was no... Well, one in corporate America, which I understand, was there's there was no team. There's no loyalty. There's yeah. no team. It's true. And I went in there trying to build a team, right? They hired me to come up with um, how are we going to get new logos. So uh, HPE came from HPE. They, they have a, an account, and then what they do is they farm that account. They just grow it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, in technology, a lot of that stuff was getting undercut by these small companies that were very mobile. Um, so they were losing uh, accounts. So I basically came in there and said, okay, let's, let's look at this just like we went after bad guys overseas, you know, find, yeah. fix, finish, exploit, and analyze, right? And that's what I did. I build a target packet on industry, um, build a target packet on a company, and then in that company, you had decision makers, so you put target packets together on them. And then what I call the friends and family, and you can look with social media and doing all the analyst work, you, you say, oh, this guy makes a decision, but he hired this person, you know, eight months ago from the last place he worked. Or he went to college with this person, and then he- Happens a lot. Right? Happens a lot, right? So that's, that's your- your endpoint. So you go in, you talk to that person, and they take you in the boss's office, and they sell it. You don't have to. Um, I'm sorry, I just got. Uh, you might have to edit this out. I'm very distracted right now out the window because there's a black lab out there taking a big shit. <laughs> I just, no, we're leaving that in. Anyways, uh, it's still it too bad. I'm feeling sorry for this. Anyways, he looks, like um, he's, he looks like he's old and struggling. Yeah. Well, anyways. At least it's not a person. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. I would have turned the camera for you. Um, so we put this target pack together, but working with the civilians, I didn't expect a lot of one leadership. I didn't expect a lot of like camaraderie and leadership and team. But so I'm like 
working with these Marine officers who both, one had an MBA, one was in school getting his MBA, and the first time we went to a meeting for brainstorming, right, in the unit when we brainstormed about an op or a mission or how we're going to do stuff, everyone just threw out crazy ideas, and you kind of build off each other, and you come up with a plan or an idea that's collective, right? Mm -hmm. You might say something crazy off the wall, but it'll trigger me to think about, no, 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 let me take 10% of that and add this, and then you say... It's like what we do here. Yeah, yeah right? You just kind of build off each other. Yeah. Not there. Yeah. So you go into this meeting, and I'm being myself because I don't know who else to be, and these guys, everyone was trying to just pitch their plan mm. and try to, you know, sell it to everyone, and so you get, you get the credit. Yeah. And then... In theory, you get promoted, and but yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it well, was real I tough. mean, coming directly out of not just the military and going in that type of environment is one thing, but coming out of the unit, like you had said, it, it, I had to be like a fish out of water uh, for sure. Well, and, and was it perhaps that you were dealing with Marines? Well, I tried to give them crayons. No, no. <laughs> I, I love Marines. I've I never met a Marine I didn't like. Yeah, I yeah. never met three Marines together that I did. But that's my only Marine joke. I love everyone out there. Uh, I know what you're saying. But and my point was is that it you know each branch brings you know is a little bit different and stuff. And Marines sometimes seem to be a little bit more. You know, they're knife hand. You know Rigid, something. Right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and I've seen it even in the the private sector in different roles. I knew a guy that was in IT and he very much he even kept the high end tight flat top, you know, kind of look and you know rigid wears a suit and everything looks like he was wearing his dress blues, you know, and stuff and and it was like you gotta dial it down. Yeah. You know. You're freaking me out a little bit. Like, yeah. Chill. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it could have been a lot of that. So you had a people who are really you know, they, they wanted to be successful in their environment, and um, yet their upbringing and the culture that they came out of is, you know, it's charge the hill, you know, type of approach and stuff, and, you know, leave no prisoners. And and you were looking more for team camaraderie yeah. and, and that type of thing. But you're right. That happens a lot within the private sector. Well, that's even, sort of, Go ahead. It's, it's sort of like uh, Catch-22 because... They teach you, okay, we want to do leadership in the corporate world yep. and, you know, build an effective, cohesive team, but it's competitive out there. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be extremely competitive and you want the guy who had to use job and there's not. You know, but I kind of took it the same philosophy when I was in the military, right? I, I got promoted very quickly in the, in the service, right? Mm -hmm. I, I made the E9 list in 13 years. That's fast. That's really right? fast. Yeah, it's yeah. real fast. They changed the rules. You can't do that shit anymore. Yeah, but I never was like of you. Right. Probably they're like, oh, we, we messed up this time. <laughs> but I always just work. I always looked at it like, hey, let's just work hard and collectively. You know, your leadership knows what's going on, and you'll get promoted when you're ready to get promoted. Yeah, people see that. People see hard work. I they're might not be the smartest guy, but I can hustle. Right. Yeah, I can hustle and work hard, and I think that pays. I off. got a question. For you, Lee, Send it. and I've never asked this um, on the HP thing. So, you know, like Rob said, you were leaving the military. Um, you were leaving an organization you've been a part of for a really long time uh, and a completely different kind of system of, I don't know, day to day life. Were you nervous or scared when you decided to step that far outside of the box with HP? Yeah, good question. <laughs> yeah, well, I did that you know, on purpose by design, right? Because I got to the unit, I went to selection with Chris yeah. when I was 23 years old. 
So I spent 15 years at in the building, and it it really shaped who I was as a young man. But also, I had a chip on my shoulder saying, "This isn't who I am. This doesn't identify me." Mm-hmm. Right. So to hang up my my guns and say, you know, I can do anything I want to hustle at. And, and that it was, it was more of that, Chris, like, no, I'm going to do this because I can do anything. And being an operator doesn't define who I am. I was Lee before I was an operator and I'm still Lee, right? Those there's qualities about me that have been enhanced with training and whatnot, but I wanted to get out there and show people that I could use more of this, my brain and, and less of of muscle. Uber impressive. I'll just right. say that. Cause I mean, you know, you're jumping really like a fish out of water. You wanted to push yourself into a limit that I think a lot of guys don't. They typically end up going from say the unit into either running there's, rifle ranges or yeah. being a contractor or, you know, and, and, and Chris and I have talked about this. There's, there's three basic avenues for operators when they get out of the service, right? One, they just go teach other people how to how to shoot, yep. move, and communicate. Yep. Which they're great at. Absolutely. Not all operators are, yep. but some are. <laughs> um, and then there's kind of where Chris and I ended up in the industry, right? Yep. You have guys who work for some type of of company that touches the military. You're you're giving back. We're designing kit or yep. guns or you know that kind of stuff. And then at a, yeah, at a minimum at a minimum we get to we get to touch the community. We get to deal with like-minded people and we get to solve problems for guys that frankly are us when we were younger. Yeah. So. Which is comfortable. Which is yeah. real comfortable. Oh it is and, right? and like you said, you feel like you're giving back. So you still feel that connection, that camaraderie, right. that teamwork that you get to experience. Yeah. Right. Totally get it. Which which actually going in the other direction um, was, was difficult because when I did that, I was like, I'm going to be me. And I got it so far away from my tribe. I didn't talk to any of my, my, my brothers. Right. And I kind of, I kind of spiraled down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm in a good place now. Right. I've been, I've been with tear and, and back with Chris and Jason for a year. So, yeah, I'm in a. I'm really happy. I'm really. I think I found a really good home. To do you me. do you think it was that complete disconnection from the community you came from that, or or was it a reconnection with that community that you came from that sort of I unspiraled think, you and and that's why you're in a better place or part of the reason you're in a better place? I think it's an evolution that you should go through. You have to put yourself in a position to be uncomfortable to grow, mm. right? If, yeah. if I'm doing the same thing every day, then I'm thinking the same way every day. Well, yeah. that's how you got to be an operator in the first place, right? You had to put yourself in a really uncomfortable situation yeah. and force yourself. How to I got to become an operator is when I joined the military, I thought Rangers were the baddest thing on the in the military. They're not. And <laughs> I was lying to you. You yeah. just you just hurt. You Paul's shattered my, yeah. my whole world. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a Ranger <laughs> tattoo also, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. But when I when I showed up at 175, my platoon sergeant had long hair, right? And this is yeah. this is early '97. Long hair, I mean, high and tight. Yeah, right? yeah. like '97, it wasn't that, was, that way. For anybody who no. didn't know that we were, you know, we're talking about the high and tight. I mean, you shaved it every shaved, Sunday or every couple sides, days. Every right. Sunday, no longer than one inch on yeah. top, tapered, right? Blue book yep. standards. Oh yeah. So that's when I learned, like literally, when I showed up to 175. I found out about the unit and I'm like, well, when can I go? Right. 
because I was 20, 21. I went to college for a couple of years, ran track in college. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to go do the hardest thing in the military. And, um, and then I met, I was like, where, how do I, how do I do that? They're like, Hey, settle down. You're, you know, you're an EIO, you one. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so that's, I went to, and I went to selection as soon as I could. I actually, I say that, but I could have went to selection a year earlier, a year and a couple months earlier. I got a waiver to go as a corporal. Um, my platoon sergeant, um, called me into his office, uh, Sammy Fernandez, Great guy. He calls me in his office. He's like, Lee, um, I've seen a lot of guys go to the unit. I would really like to ask you to stay for another year. I think you need some maturity. I'm going to give you as much leadership as I can. I'll promote you as fast as I can. Um, but please stay for another year. And I, on the spot, I said, roger that, Sergeant. Yeah. Right? I was a corporal. I was getting ready to pin on my E5. I was an E5 for eight months. But let's face it. Most people would be like, oh, hell no. I, yeah. Know. I but mean, I listened to him. I mean, obviously you had a great, uh, you felt like you had a great mentor. I, I'm very fortunate in my yeah. military career. I had Sammy Fernandez and then right after, and then he left and then I was going to selection and Andy Fernandez was my, my platoon sergeant who, I don't know if you guys know who Andy is, is yes, went to C squadron, right? right? Chris. Amazing. Right. And he ended up going to selection after I did. So that's how I ended up finding out about the unit and become like, okay, let's do this. So yeah. So, all right, so let's back up. What made you go into the Army in the first place? Were you just wanting to get the hell out of Lansing, or was it something else? So I was going to Saginaw Valley State University. Okay. Um, I went to college for the wrong reasons. I didn't go to college for an education. Yeah. I went to college to run track. I got a a pole vaulting scholarship. I went there to do that, and I had some priorities kind of mixed up in college. And I mean, I got good grades because you have to be eligible to run track, and that was about, you know, the only thing— that I did right, but there there's a time there where I looked in the mirror and if my dad knew what I was doing, I would have he would have been disappointed in me. Yeah. So I was like, I have to remove myself from this environment. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I was like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go be a Navy SEAL. Oh, <laughs> uh, so it started with that, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, and my, well, so my brother, my, yeah, right. You my brother tell. was in the Navy, right? Oh, okay, okay. My brother okay. was in the Navy, so naturally, you know, he wasn't a seal to me. No, he was. No, he's way smarter than that. <laughs> <laughs> half, half. I'm gonna get all kinds of DMs. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> awesome. Stir this pot. So you go down to the recruiting office, and I'm curious to know how this conversation went. Because well, Chris, we talked about that on his episode, you know, about yeah. going down there. So. I went down there and I went and talked to the Navy and I was like, Hey, I want to be a Navy SEAL. And they're like, okay. And you have to become this. And there was nothing in, in a contract at that time that would, that I could say, yes, if I do all these hoops, I will become a Navy SEAL. You got the hair, man. <laughs> you do have great hair. You did. I've been working on it. I got different <laughs> products, right? <laughs> um, so, so I left there and I went past the army and there was a recruiter named Sergeant Dechalk. How do you guys remember these? I hope people do not remember my name as the recruiter. That would suck. Sergeant Dechalk. I think you do, Rob. I think you remember your recruiters. Like most people do. Like yeah. most people I've talked to remember that person's name, either for good reasons or bad. We remember you guys. Yeah. That is 
really bad, yeah. But he he didn't want to be a recruiter. Right, so he was he was that army guy who he was in the he was in Rangers. He was eighty uh, second airborne, still bloused his boots yeah. type of guy. Yeah. Didn't didn't want to recruit anyone. He sees me walking by. He's like, "Hey, come here," and they had like a a bench press in there with no, weights. He's like, "Hey, <laughs> see how many reps you can do." So I lay down, and do some reps. I'm in good shape, right? Are you serious? I, I, this is no bullshit. You can't make this shit up, right? <laughs> So he's like, your bench press. Yeah. (laughs) And then I'm like, you know, (laughs) so then he's like, Oh, you did really good. So, uh, here's a, uh, um, here's a ranger handbook. Gave me a ranger handbook. And then he gave me uh, a survival handbook and said, Hey, why don't you take a look at these and just come back tomorrow and talk to me. So I was like, Okay, and he tells me a little bit about rangers. He's like, Mm -hmm. rangers jump in and they destroy everything, right? That's that's his pitch. Pretty, I mean, pretty close to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's his first thing <laughs> that, that he didn't lie to me about. Yeah. So I go back there, and uh, I did go talk to the Air Force recruiter. There was nothing in the Air Force that was hard enough. <laughs> You're going to get nailed. I'm going to get nailed. I, I'm saying this, you guys. <laughs> You're right. Um, uh, just to get great. a response out of you. No, I, I went to the Air Force, and there was nothing there that appealed to me. Yeah. Um, looking back, I probably should have joined the Air Force. <laughs> yeah. Looking back, I should have went to the Coast yeah. Guard recruiters. Right, right. right. Yeah. But the band, well, never mind. We're not going to go down there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love everyone. Rank doesn't come easy within the Coast Guard. I mm. mean, the, that's the, you know, I mean, they It comes may... easy in the Army, as I just told you yeah, a little yeah, while ago. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I go back there. And I take my ASVAB score. I score high enough where I can, you know, basically pick, pick yeah. my job. Mm-hmm. And he, we go up there, and he's like, all right, so Sergeant Dechuck, he's like, we're going to go in here. This guy, you're not in the Army, so you don't have to call him Sergeant or anything. He's like, you don't even have to respect this guy. He's like, you go in there, you come out of there with a Ranger contract. Talk about the guidance counselor at the MEPS. Yes, exactly. Yes. So I go in there. We used to prep our guys like that. Yeah, exactly. And it was great because I went in there and he's like, so I think what you should do is fly around in a helicopter and make maps. You score real high in geography and problem, (laughs) right? And I'm like, range of contract. He's like, I can't give you a range of contract. And I was like, well, fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) I I got up. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So after a while, I got a contract. So back to my recruiter, which I hope he listens to this because I would love to to hear from him because he everything he told me was spot on and you hear all those stories yeah. about my recruiter lied to me but i'd like to think for those who are listening that i told the truth as well so yeah if he didn't dm me so i can <laughs> 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 so um so i had delayed entry i had to wait till october 1st because they didn't have any rip contracts for that fiscal year. Yeah, what what time of the year was this already? Uh it was the beginning well i just got out of School, so June, June ish. Yeah. So um, four months you had to. Yeah, I had, I had to burn four months. Yeah. Um. So I hung out at my parents' house, and this know. is the most nervous time, just so you know, for a recruiter, recruiter. because you just don't want him to, you know, you to get into any type of trouble with the law or anything like that. Just, I don't know. think Sergeant Dietrich cared about that. Oh, he didn't say anything. No, or, because yeah. he was more like he would call, and he'd be like, "Hey." There's some girls down here trying to join the army. Come down here and talk to him. He so, had the hair. Oh man, he he like bench press. Man. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, he he hooked me up. That's a phenomenal recruiter. <laughs> Several times. <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that. So 
I think it's funny. I think I was going to say, I think it's funny, Lee. I was thinking about this. You and I haven't had the recruiter story, but we all, you know, there's different reasons people go into the service, whatever branch. Um, and there's a common theme with like guys from our community where we all wanted a guaranteed path to something that we kind of thought was cool. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. and we weren't willing to accept anything other than that. And I think it's, I was thinking about the other day, I think it's funny because we're, we all are, are clearly a capable group of guys and we weren't that way for the rest of our careers. There's lots of times we would jump headlong into something because we're like, you know what? I know I'm good enough to do this and I'm going to crush everybody. I'll figure it out. Like, I don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't know when the, I don't know when the mindset shift happened, but at 18, it's like, we all say the same thing. It's like, Nope, no, no, I'm not going to sign up for a job, chip and paint. Yeah. If I fail, I need, I need at least a path to be an army ranger. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's true because they're like, hey, if you don't make this or that, you go needs the army, you're probably going to end up a cook. I'm like, that does not scare me because yeah. whatever you put in front of me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Right. Yeah. I learned that when I was probably in kindergarten, first grade. Yeah. My really? first, yeah. Early. I started wrestling in in first grade, and I didn't win a match. My first, like that first season in Michigan, wrestling's a big deal, right? And this yeah. inspired confidence in you. Well, it, it made me upset and gotcha. embarrassed when you're standing out there in the middle of the mat and they push your arm down and the other guy's arm up. You're yeah. you're a winner, he or he's a winner, you're a loser. Do they still do that today? Because yeah. of the I hope so. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I have everybody's that. a winner. Ingrained, right. It's like yeah. so I remember looking at my I didn't have wrestling shoes. Right, I had just regular street shoes. Love it. And I remember looking at my shoes, just like feeling like a loser. So I didn't, I didn't lose a match the next year. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hustled. I worked. Like I have a sister who's two years older than me, and and my mom would make her uh, help, like at home, like let me practice my moves. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Did your sister love that? Isn't it? Yeah. My my sister loves me. I mean, awesome. I broke my arm in eighth grade, and my sister broke out in hives. Wow. She loves me. She's That's great. Awesome. She's still amazing. We're very close. What were you going to say, Chris? I was going to say, isn't it funny that, like, uh, particularly, like, our generation and, and our parents and grandparents, like, we all come from a, uh, there's winners and losers kind of growing up environment. Yeah. yeah. And and all, and all of us, to a T, us, our, our parents, our grandparents, will all tell you that losing is the thing that made them stronger. It made them want to achieve more. And it's one of the things we always talk about it, like the trophy society that we're in now, like kids don't learn that lesson. They don't build that drive early on. Like Lee said, in kindergarten, he got beat and he felt bad. So he got better and he wanted to win and he worked harder, even at an early age. Like, I can't believe like that, that's disappearing from the world. That's funny. Cause I have a son, Zachary, 22 years old. Right. And I remember coming coming home from work, and he's so proud, and he comes up to me. He's got, like, I don't know, six or seven blue ribbons. And I'm excited for him. Like, yeah, this is awesome. You won. I'm like, what's this one for? And he tells me, I'm like, did, did everyone get a ribbon? He's like, yeah. And I, like, threw it away. <laughs> what's this one for? Everyone get it? Yeah. And get to the last one. He's like, he's like, no, 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 no. I won that. No one else got it. And I'm like, I am so proud of you. I'm going to put this up here. You... You, you earn this, yeah, right? Yeah. It, so. It, it's so true, though, Chris, because I think that is something that's potentially, and we're not going to know it maybe for even maybe another 5, 10, 20 years from now, hurting our society. 
because if everybody is equal in, in that type of way, you're not going to have those individuals that really want to try to achieve and, you know, um, um, excel in their lives and in their professional lives yeah. as well. And they're okay with just being status quo. Well, it just fosters a, a bad relationship with consequences. I think the consequences are real. If you make an effort and you practice you all the time, time yeah. then you win and yeah. you get to hold your hand up. And if you don't, then you got to look down at your shoes and feel like a loser. And that's yeah. life. Yeah. And it's a lot better. Those to are learn emotions it. you have to learn to deal with. Yeah. And you should and learn that, it in first grade that, instead of when you're in college or you have a career or you have a family and then mm, real consequences mm, are on the line. Yeah. So I think it's not that, that picking yourself back up lesson translates for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like, yeah. like we talk about that, like all these years later. So the challenges are different and the things that happen to you are different, but that being able to look at yourself and go, man, I I'm doing really bad here. Um, what do I do? I need to do something about it. You don't just wait for society or someone to hand you the thing to make it better. You, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and you figure out how to make it better. And, and, and no one else can do that except yourself. Like yeah. you're, I mean, look yourself in the mirror and be honest because everyone around you is going to either either it's okay or or they'll or 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 they'll take it to the extreme like but mostly right now everyone tries to pick you up and and help you out but no i i need you to be honest like yeah. no you didn't win because you didn't work hard enough right i mean there is a cap there like hey there are people that are just physically more gifted than you or stronger than you or faster than you and that's going to happen that's okay as long as you can look in the mirror and say i worked my ass off yeah, I took second place, but I I earned my second place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So going back, works, it, go ahead. It, I was gonna say it even works. It, even if physicality is not your thing or whatever, you know, extremely intelligent people they fail at something and they use their head and they figure out a way to do it differently or to do it better or to be smarter than the person next to them. Yeah. Like it, mm-hmm. it it works across every facet of your life. I think so. Work smarter, not harder. Sometimes, right? Use your brain. Yeah, yeah. it's the way it's supposed to work. I think so. October, and this is what year again? I joined in October 96. Okay. I just left there, so we passed. I left Benning, headed to, I got assigned to Fort McClellan, Alabama. Alabama. Oh, my gosh, it was terrible. Anyway, so you arrive at uh, OSIT, uh, Fort Benning. Yep, and do my 11 x-ray. X-ray, okay. So I was going to ask you, were you, what did, did they put you on the Bravo path or? Yeah, so I had 11 x-ray, but in my contract was go to range battalion. Okay, so option 40. Right. And Sergeant D-Chalk is like, whatever they tell you, don't listen to them. Yeah. You're 11 x-ray, but you will be 11 Bravo. You're going to be infantry. You're going to do, they're going to tell you you're going to be 11 Mike or 11 Charlie. He's like, just Lee, just, just don't listen to them. Because your paperwork is right and you'll be fine. Yeah. And and no, and sure enough, I'm in basic training. They're like you're going to be your 11 extra. Everyone's here is going to be 11 Charlie. No offense, brother. Uh, <laughs> hey, Paul too. Paul yeah. Too. Oh yeah, that's cool. I didn't know. I didn't get briefed. So. Yeah. I'm you didn't like, have Sergeant Dechoff. I'm an 11 what? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I just stood there and sure enough, I you know it was exactly everything all the way to rip to range battalion was exactly like my recruiter told me. Wow. Good on him. Yeah. And so airborne school, fine, go through RIP, come into the unit. Time. And so we went, where was it that you heard of the unit that where you decided that that's where you wanted to go? Because you said as soon as you arrived almost. As soon as I arrived. So how, how did you know about it? Well, my platoon sergeant had long hair because he made selection. 
So he'd already started growing his hair out. Gotcha. So as soon they as... They gave him, like, relaxed standards. Yep. I didn't gotcha. put the two together. When you said you walked in there and Literally, he had long, when I walked in, my platoon sergeant had long hair. And I'm like, that's... I learned about the unit day one, day two in, in Ranger Battalion. And immediately you knew. Well, yeah, I was like, it. well, if that's better than this, why am I here? Ah, How do I get a selection? And they're like, whoa, 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 you have to be on your second yeah. enlistment. You got to be this. I'm like, check. Right? Okay, I'll wait. I'll go to selection. So that's why I went. I tried to go to selection when I was an E4. So you how you said he stayed there about eight months, a year or so before he it, get the other um, my platoon sergeant took over. He was there for another couple months and then he left. Oh, okay. Were you able to like pick his brain about no, things? No, he didn't talk to me. <laughs> okay, I'm just, I'm just private, right? Yeah, yeah I didn't know. Like, hey, hey. I, I was gonna say, when you're a young ranger in a regiment yeah. and, and you start hearing stuff on the grapevine, you realize not all superheroes wear capes. Some of them just have long hair and beard. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many decisions in in SOF have been made, like life-altering decisions based on a haircut? You're like this one sucks. I want that one. <laughs> what do I gotta do? What do I gotta carry? What do I gotta walk at? Like, how, it's either it's either a, hand, a haircut or how do I stand over there with my hands in my pocket? Yeah, yes. getting hands in your pockets. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's so hilarious though that you walked in there and you saw him and you're like, okay, well if that's better. Then that's where I want to go, and that's what you just basically started working your career for at that point. How challenging was it for you to get in there and to make corporal, especially within regiment? Knowing that you're leaving, and I'm assuming a lot of the people within regiment knew you were leaving. Yeah. No, no, nobody no. knew. No one. I mean, you know, you know, you that not, yeah, that's what I was curious about. It's like, did you really just tell people that? No. Okay. I just, I mean, I worked hard. Yeah. You know, I got counseled for being too mean to other privates. Yeah. You know, because I hated, I hated mass punishment. Well, if you mess up and I have to do push-ups, you're gonna, you're gonna hear about it later. Yeah. Right. Because that's, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, you. yeah, right? Yeah. You, so. you got in a good um, unit as well. I mean, you got in inside first, which is yeah, in Savannah. Oh, uh, yeah. Beautiful. I say good because of they're the right. location. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, not, they're pretty good. Not I everybody. Was in, I was in 375. Yeah. Uh, not yeah, not no, everybody was, wanted to stay at Fort Benning once they got through OSA and everything else. Nobody wanted to stay at Fort Benning. Exactly. No, I almost cried. They're like, yeah, stand over here. And I was 11 Charlie. They're like, stand over here. You're going to Benning. And I, well, when I ripped, they go through the, yeah, nice. you did. Yeah. They go down the line and they're like, 375, 375, 375. He comes to me and he puts his hand over my shoulder and points to the guy in the rank behind me. 375. Like, You're kidding. No bullshit. God. And then he comes back to you and says, 175? Yep. What, what do you like about you? I don't know. He, he was probably from 175, so. All the good-looking guys. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, you, you look at the hair. I mean, they're they're on the beach, man. We got an image to uphold. Uh, you know, they yeah. keep the the swamp donkeys in the swamp and Columbus. Got to keep the abs going and the chest. The I mean, you didn't do the bench press. One seven five, and then abs. you send the weirdos over to two seven five. Or sorry, two seven five. So you never then, because you only had to wait a year before you went off to selection and stuff. You never went to Ranger School. No, no, no. I, I was there. You have to be on your second enlistment to go to the unit at the time. You had to be an E5. So I was at the I was at 175 for just over four years. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I left there as an E6. Oh. I didn't put the two together. Yeah. So, like I said, I made I made rank quickly in the military. And sure. I was, it's just like, it was just like how I approach sports. If I just work hard, I'll, it, it all works out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's how I kind of looked at it. So I just worked hard, and people saw it and 
I had really good mentors. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you, if you're listening to this and you are interested in a selection or something like that, like it, the standards have changed for, yeah. so don't think like, Hey, you have to be on your second enlistment or this and that. Like talk to your, talk to your recruiter, talk to your, yeah, we're talking 25 PAO years ago or not your PAO. LNO, talk whatever. To, talk to Sergeant D chalk. <laughs> Call D chalk and he'll tell you, <laughs> but just, just ask. Cause you may be eligible, eligible for yeah. it. And Michigan. Yeah. yeah, go find yeah. him in Lansing. Yeah. I wonder if he's still there. Um, so at this time frame, I mean, were you in a line unit or were you like, uh, Paul, were you in headquarters company? Were no, they? I, was, I was in a line okay. unit. I went to, um, I went to BCO, uh, 3rd Platoon, um, hard charging, you know, volunteer for everything type of thing. And then uh, I go to pre-ranger probably within a year. Um, and you have a break, you have a weekend or just over a weekend between pre-ranger and ranger school. So I went home, got in a car accident and I, I, I had to have my medial and lateral meniscus taken out of my knee. Oh, um, so I was like, the, the doctor's like, you'll never road march again. I was like, Oh, you know, what am I going to do? So I talked to some of the NCOs. I had a job lined up over at the ranger gym. Right. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go to the ranger gym. I'm gonna rehab. I'm gonna get. Yeah. And then my first sergeant's like, hell no, you're not going to the ranger gym. Any, you're going to come here and work in for the, for the CO. So I was kind of like the CO's like little helper. So he's like, I need a database. So he put a database, he was building a database to do stuff. So I did data entry for him. I just little, little projects, which kind of protected me and helped me rehab. Mm-hmm. And then they were getting ready to deploy to do a, uh, a training exercise. I remember this. And um, all the platoon sergeants were there with the first sergeant. And there was a slot to go to Mountain Warfare School in Vermont. Right? I haven't been to range school. And there was, there was a certain E6 at the time who was slotted, slotted to go to that course who... We all know and ends up at the unit also, but uh, he was supposed to go to that and and they said he couldn't go. He had to go on this training exercise. Oh. So my my platoon sergeant's like, hey, we already paid for the slot. Let's send Lee see if his knee holds up. That way we can send him to see range if school. his knee holds so, up. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So I go up there without a ranger tab and go to Mountain Warfare School. Um, knee holds up, solid. Come back and it's exactly one year from when I went to pre ranger. And they're like, okay, Lee, you're going to pre-rangers. And I'm like, whoa, 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 why do I have to go to pre-ranger? They're like, well, it's only good for a year. And I'm like, yeah, and it's only been a year. So I went straight to ranger school. Nice. I didn't have to go back through pre-ranger. And, you know, I went to ranger school, came back, and, you know. Yeah, because pre-ranger is like an extra phase. And you got to go to – did you have to do it at Benning? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it breaks you down, right? Yep. I mean, it, yep. it's – and I've already learned that. I need I need to go to ranger school. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think that gap helped you between pre-ranger and, and going to ranger it school? It did because mountain phase was, I slept through mountain phase because to learn knots and stuff, I already, I already tested on 32 knots in Vermont. So it's like, yeah. right. <laughs> Easy. Thank you very much. Did the uh, Vermont help you for selection as far as the hill? Um, with land nav, probably yeah. a little bit. Cause I, I mean, I, I, it was a learning curve going to Vermont and doing land nav in the mountains. Cause in Savannah, when you do land nav, it's an azimuth because it's flat, it's a swamp and right. that's yep. all it is. Dead reckoning. Right. Yep. And then you had to learn 
to read the terrain and, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it definitely helped yeah. me out. When you're, when you're in the thick of the woods or you're out in the middle of the desert, yeah. desert's probably the worst. I mean, geez, you, you know, that mountain looks like it's just right there. It doesn't look that far even on the map, but that's a long damn distance when you start walking or yeah. moving towards it. And it's very easy to get off course and the whole bit. Trees, at least you can pick a tree. Yeah, and move to that. And, and move to that tree. Shoot another yeah. asthma. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. See if you're drifting and, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So um, at this time frame, you end up coming back from ranger school, and you go to selection not long after that. Um, I'm thinking. Yeah, a couple of years, another, another two years. Okay. And um, how long was it from the time that you went to selection? Of course, wait, we, you went with Chris. Yeah, Chris and I were the same OTC 47. And this is, this is 9-11. We were, so, yeah, so 9-11 happens, yeah. and then, like, two days later, I went to selection. Okay, you guys weren't in selection no, then. We're, we were a couple days before that. We went up there. Yeah. So we didn't know what was happened. going on. Yeah. 9-11 happened, and then it was, it was I don't remember how many days after 9-11, but we, we went right after it had happened. Yeah. Yeah, so you guys already knew, though, going in? Or, knew, or they yeah. could be sheltered? Okay. So you know 9-11 happens. You know we're under attack, and then you then you go to selection. Then you don't know anything. You take all your instructions from chalkboard, right? Yep. You don't, you, you're, you don't know. So right. lots of, you know, we're going to go to war. Well, really, we're going to do this. I was going to say, it was really mixed emotions, at least I, I think for a lot of us, Lee, in that, um, we knew we were going to this selection event and potentially our unit could go to war while we were there. But at the same time, we were going to selection for what we all viewed as the greatest unit in the world. And mm-hmm. we knew we would end up in combat if we were successful. So uh, it was kind of weird. That was one of the, that was one of the questions at, at selection they asked me was, why do you want to come to the unit? And I was like, well, if I'm going to go to combat, I want to be surrounded by the best people yeah. and the yeah. best equipment. I mean, if I'm going to go put my life on the line... And get after it. I want, I want, you know. I was just getting ready to ask you that because at that moment, I mean, this becomes real. You realize that, okay, our, our country is going to retaliate in some way. Yeah. And I know this thing that I'm going to it's is going to be heavily me, involved. Put me right in the hot spot. And Chris, and Chris found out before I did. So when we went to OTC and we graduated OTC, he went to C and he went immediately to Afghanistan. Yeah. And I went to B, and we were training up for Afghanistan to to replace them. So mm. he went right into the hot seat. Yeah, cool. it was really weird. I, even with everything going on for us, I don't know how you felt, Lee, but it was almost like time stopped because when we went through, you know, the operating training course and spent all that time, and then we joined our squadrons, it was like we immediately went to war. So even though some things that happened just post 9-11, um, in Afghanistan, it, it, it was like it was like time stopped, and then we just joined the fight, and then kept moving forward from there. At least yeah. for me, I, I felt like I didn't miss anything. <clears throat> yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing time. We were talking about Brad Thomas earlier. Was yeah. Brad already at the unit? Yeah. Or? Brad senior to us. Okay, I yeah. didn't I didn't know that either. Yeah. Um, I was yeah, trying. Brad to... was, um, he was on my team when I got to the team in Afghanistan. He was he took me under his wing. I knew you guys were close, but I didn't know. Yeah. That, I didn't realize that that's the reason why. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Senior, like E seven at the time frame. When I say senior, I mean senior just in ha- having gone through the got there before yeah. we did, right, right. right? Because rank really doesn't matter. That's true. Yeah. Right, rank doesn't matter. It's it's kind of like experience matters. I got yeah. a, I got a question for all three of you because I wasn't in the military yet, and so from the outside looking in after nine eleven, I'm like, 
maybe something happens and we retaliate. Maybe we go to war. Maybe not. Like it was. I just we retired. Were but you guys were in. Yes, you guys were that in. month. Wow. I didn't know any, I mean, it was right before, you know, yeah. so of course they hit the Pentagon and everything else. I knew guys that were there and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to take you off, no, but I'm calling them up and asking, you know, how bad is this trying to get Intel? Yeah. You know, it's hard to get through cause even cellular uh, systems were down and the whole bit. So, um, yeah, it was for me, it was one of these things I wanted to go back and my family, I think I shared with you, told me why. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> you're an E8. Yeah. What are you really going to contribute here? Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? And But it was tough. So for me, at least I'll share my side of the story of this happening and going down. I live with regret sometimes of that, that I didn't go back and I didn't do yeah. something, especially yeah. having the war gone on this long. You know, I yeah. thought it was going to be more like a desert storm, pop in, we're going to we're going to throw some shit down and then we're going to get out of there, you know, and make them realize that this is not something we'll tolerate. Not that we're going to be in this thing 19 years later. Right. You know, and, yeah. and that kind of like it's that's how the military is. It's all timing. You got to be in the right place at the right time. Yep. So you can't you can't feel guilty for not being at the right place. At the right. Time. It's just how it works. Right. Yeah. You know, but, you know, we, we all have, of course, some for, form of regret. Yep. And yeah, sure. Yeah. But yeah, I tell guys that, too. Like the important part is sign your name on the line. Yeah. You know, like stand well, up, I, raise your hand. I and take if my you get it. You get it. And yeah. if you don't. My hat's off to people who joined after 9-11. Yeah. You know that, you know, the guys who are like quit college or, or, or went in right after high school, knowing that we were at war. I mean, that takes, you know, hopefully they thought about it, but you know, that, well, yeah. it's a different decision process. Oh, right? totally. And from a recruiting standpoint, right? I can just share with you prior to that, it was challenging to get individuals in because they just wanted to go to the college or the only reason why they were going in to, is to get college money. Right. It's, you know, service to country was not one of the dominant buying motives. It was right. typically money or college money. That's how or, I kind of looked at it. I was like, okay, I'm in college. I'm going to join the service. I'm going to do four years yeah. in 17 weeks because that's right. Yep. I don't know. You do four years and then I was like, okay, then I'll go back to college. I'll be more mature or whatever. And I, you know, I just stayed in for 20 years. The freaky thing about this is that people who are joining today were born at after. or after. Yeah. That's the strangest thing. And yet they're, they grew, so for them, they grew up with a war going on. Yeah. And, and yet, you wouldn't know if you go out downtown yeah, true. in the U.S., no one knows we're still at war. Well, yeah. it's not on the news and stuff anymore. Right. Yeah. It really never was. To be honest with yeah. you, yeah, a couple of flash in the pan type. Well, once yeah. that happened, and then all of a sudden it stopped, and it's like, okay, we can't put it out there and stuff. Oh no, we can't show what's really happening, yeah. and because they started, I think, fearing, and I know we're kind of going backwards, but mm -hmm. almost fearing like Vietnam and the messages that came out, and that they're not supporting the troops anymore and everything yeah. else. So that whole fear was like, let's just not even talk about it, and maybe it'll just kind of it, life will continue on here in in the states. Yeah. Which it, it did, unless your family's in the military yeah. or you're in the military or something like that. I yeah. think it's interesting because, like, guys I served with, like, we're overseas in Afghanistan, and now they're sending their children to, like, the exact same spot. Like, have yeah. you had that experience? Yeah, there's guys in the unit have have children in the in the Ranger Battalion. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And they're like. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I've got, I've got at least three or four friends that I've served with that, that I'm still pretty close with that called me. And when, when their son... Um, after joining the service was getting ready to deploy for the first time. And it's a, it's a weird conversation when you're 
the two old guys talking about your kid um, potentially going into harm's way. Um, but we always, uh, I, I don't know, Lee, about your conversations with guys, but mine's always kind of the same. It's like, well, you know, he's, he's done X, Y, and Z. He's surrounded himself with good people. They're better trained than even we were back then. Yes, that's They've true. They've got 20 years of lessons learned that, that we laid the groundwork for and helped build those lessons. Um, you know, he, he or she will be all right, and that's kind of where we leave it. Yeah, they're definitely better yeah. trained now. Uh, Operators are better trained now. Along that line, Everybody I mean, was is. was C Comp I mean, was C Squadron information coming back to be fast enough to? I mean, was there intel being passed that says, okay, hey, this is working or not working, and and was that communication really yeah, happening? Or? There was some of that, but that you start getting into uh, into the culture of the building there. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's a it's a small unit, yeah. but it's very decentralized. Um, so it would be, it would be more like, Hey, I went to OTC with Chris. Let me get some information from him in C squadron. It, it wouldn't be like an official, yeah. you know, if that happened to happen more at the, at the officer level and, you know, we did, you know, TTP exchange, you know, well, we were, bit, we will still, we're still learning organizationally across all the agencies, everybody that we're supposed to talk to each other and share information. Yeah. I mean, the, prior to nine 11, people forget sometimes like. CIA, FBI, DOD, like they didn't talk to each other. They stovepipe all that information. Yeah. It and, goes back to if I'll get promoted if I keep this and hold on to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I asked is because I think today that culture is somewhat changed. I don't know within the unit. You probably know better just by talking to guys today. But I think that's one of those things. There's certain things within especially the military that's hard to change from a cultural standpoint. Yeah. But I, I would hope that at least we're communicating better about what's happening on the battlefield and sharing that kind of information you know, to, to, to make the next group yeah. that much better. And I know we are in terms of, especially medicine, you know, the, oh, the yeah. medics, I mean, wow. Yeah. You know, I think that medics and like technology, like, Hey, we're using this on the battlefield right. enhancing this. And, and definitely when it comes to, you know, technology, yeah, you change that. But I, I remember doing a handoff with another squadron and trying to tell them what we're doing and what we're seeing. And he's like, Hey, I got this ain't my first barbecue, you know, right. there's some ego there. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, like in terms of train up for the invasion, um, C and B were, we were concurrently getting ready for that. Um, so I, and I've told this story before, but you know, when we got ready to do the invasion in 03 of Iraq, um, no one had done a long range desert mobility since the first Gulf war. Um, and it was our unit and the unit did, you know, one of the things that it usually does that went and found the guys that did that operation, it sat down and it came up with a game plan for how we were going to attack it this time. Um, and it, that stuff, those, those guys that did that original desert mobility in the first Gulf war absolutely impacted the TTPs that we executed when we did the invasion But because B and C, because B was bumping us out, we were both sort of prepping for that mission around the same time. We just went first and then, and then B bumped us out. So, yeah. In terms of handoff of information, that stuff absolutely happens. Those lessons learned do happen. But there's two things that impact it. One is the proximity in which you do that handoff. Sometimes they're so quick um, that the next squadron just has to roll with it. Yeah. Uh, and, then the other, and then the other one is the mission set changes. I think those first few years in Iraq in particular, um, we, the mission, the, what we were doing and how we were doing it changed so rapidly that really they were all new lessons learned. Those first couple years in Iraq were probably my favorite. Hmm. How was so? that? Mm -hmm. Because mine too. It was the evolution of 
we, we were training for Somalia, right? You, you carry all this, you do all this stuff. And then we, we developed new TTPs to get after the enemy. And, you know, we had new technology, you know, trying to find people. I mean, we hit a lot of dry holes. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and then we started getting better at it and so master at it. Was this around the same time frame that CQB really started coming into play or was it right before that? Uh, I guess I don't really know that answer that question because to me, CQB is part of like whole yeah, everything you career. do. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons I went to the unit is why do you want to go? I want to kick some and get some. Yeah. You know, that's what you do. Right. I mean, I was 23 when I went to selection and that's, I mean, I was, I was an asshole. I was, I thought I was Superman. Yeah. I was, yeah. Chris, you Chris were, can, he you, can vouch for that. I was going to say, Chris, <laughs> were you like, you were like 21, 22 at that time frame too, or? Uh, Lee is, Lee is, uh, what are you, about a year I'm older about a year than older than you. Uh, yeah, we just did the math the other day. Yeah, so I was 23. We, we, yeah, we were both 23, and then he turned 24 before yeah. I did. But yeah. yeah, God, man, thinking back at that age group and being at the level or what you guys were doing, yeah, I'd be probably the same way. Well, I kind of I mean, think of it like it's like a heavyweight boxer, right? Yeah, a boxer gets in the ring, he has to think he is the baddest mo trucker yeah. out there, right? He's got to have that confidence. If you're going to stack up on a door and you know there's foreign fighters in there with guns, you got to you got to have some confidence. You got to have some ego. Yeah. Right? I mean, hopefully in the civilian world you can check it at the door, but on the battlefield, you have to you have to have confidence in yourself and the guys around you and your equipment and you got to be a bad mother trucker, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, that that's a universal axiom of a combat unit it's you're the best nobody's standing in their ready room or briefing their platoon like you guys are pretty good yeah 80 seconds Maybe better we'll have you it. guys are pretty good or raise your bats better you guys are pretty good but operators are better and we're gonna go out there and give it just second place effort like that's yeah. that's a bad foot to step that, out on yeah. so that sounds like a good skit <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that actually does. All right, you guys are pretty good. We're going to go into combat. <laughs> Other, everyone else has probably been training hard to you, but that's okay. <laughs> Our equipment is okay. Yeah. It's a little outdated. Some of it breaks, but hey, you yeah. guys will figure it out. <laughs> Some of you don't have slings. You hey, just have to carry. Rob, I was going to answer your question. The, 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 the SMUs in the U.S. Um, since their formation have always been focused on CQB because of the hostage rescue piece of their mission set. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, but kind of boring, that being right? said, the events that that actually occurred were singular or they were a couple of times over, uh, you know, from, in our case, from 1977, you know, and all the events that happened leading up to Afghanistan and then, and then um, Iraq, they were all like singular one day or two day or three missions here or whatever. Um, it wasn't until Iraq that it became a, multiple hit multiple cqb based targets a day yeah uh and where, where your focus was was killer capture versus hostage rescue so there, there was a shift there when iraq happened and there's a lot of enemy that survived on the battlefield those first couple rotations because how we did cqb we did cqb so fast the enemy didn't have even a chance to get to their guns yeah and it saved, I think it saved our lives, but it also, I mean, it saved a lot of enemies' lives. educated them, put them in the system, and then you, we fought them again. But that's a whole nother problem yeah. set, right? Well, we always say they get a vote. Yeah. That's, and just let them vote. Just, you got to let, you got to give them some time to vote. That's badass, Lee. It's, right. it's almost like you guys were too good. Oh. <laughs> I'm messing with you. No, that's. Didn't mean to come across that. No, way. no. I, I'm just razzing you, man. No, right. it's, it's awesome. You it's know? really, really fucking cool. 
I mean, when you come in the door and the yeah. guy's in bed and he yeah. looks at his AK and you can get to him, you start beating him up instead of shooting him. Yeah. And then later on, you're like, maybe I should just slow down a little bit. I was going to say. I'll let you uh, fill in the Paul, rest. Yeah, Paul, in regiment, too, like you guys, I, I, I've never heard anybody. Well, that's not true. I have heard some people. <laughs> guys, guys, guys from our community, generally, if you ask them what's a successful mission, it's getting the person that you're after without a shot being fired. Yep, yeah. 100% agree. So those yeah. are my favorite missions. I mean, we have did some stuff that was low-vis in downtown Baghdad wearing, you know, tight jeans and pointy leather shoes. And the enemy's like, what? Who are, what? And yep. not, a, not a gun comes out. You just yep. throw them in the trunk and you, you drive off. Those are cool missions. Well, that's the cool yeah. part, right? That's the scary part. That's when... Because I've seen, seen this through, you know, when I was a sniper, through my scope, I'm looking mm-hmm. through a window and... All of a sudden, there's a six-two ranger, and he snatches this guy out of bed, and they're out the door. And wife's waking up, looking around, like, "What? What just happened? Where'd like, he go? Where'd some, he some, go? Something just came in the night and took yeah. somebody out of my bed. Came, right? Yeah, and that's, I, yeah, I that's, agree with you 100. Okay. That's training. I was gonna say, people forget. People forget that across, particularly in Iraq, we were so collectively. Um, the unit and rangers that were uh, conducting missions and then rangers that were supporting the unit, we were so successful at grabbing folks in the middle of the night that there was literally a rumor that spread across the country that the green eyes come at night and they take all of the males and they never return. They, they thought we were taking them and killing them, which we weren't. We were capturing them and detaining them. But we were so good at it and it happened so frequently that it spread across where they feared anybody that operated at night with night vision and called them the green eyes. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> green eyed devils and green eyed devils. Yeah. It's very cool. And then, really then, cool. and then you do that to a point and then, you know, you find out that one untrained guy with an AK doing a Beirut special down the hallway shoots a whole team up. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, Whoa, maybe it's not hostage rescue. There's not an American in there. Why am I, why am I running into a gunfight? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we changed our TTPs. We started doing call outs and that kind yep. of stuff. Now you were downrange, if I remember correctly, when Chris came back and was going through um, SFAS and Q, right? Um, most likely the yeah. timing would be that way because uh, B bumped out C. Is is the at the time? That's, yeah, that was the rotation. So we didn't cover it a whole lot in the beginning, though. But when you were talking about your platoon sergeant and his brother, there is a connection with Chris, and Chris mentioned um, that same name or the, that individual. They, they, they actually weren't brothers. I had two, oh, they were two brothers. They were they just, just had the same, same last name. We're not okay. all related, Rob. Yeah, okay. There's just a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't his uncle, right? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was Sammy Fernandez and then Andy Fernandez. Okay, I just yeah. made the assumption. I'm sorry that they were possibly related. So, yeah, yeah. yeah so. I, I've done it. I've done it too, Rob. I, I thought the same thing. Actually, <laughs> Lee and I talked about it like I did, which is stupid because I've talked to Andy's brother and I know that Sammy was not Andy's brother, but I still did it. <laughs> but yeah. you guys end up crossing over and and knowing the same person. So I don't know who wants to kind of share that piece of it because didn't you didn't you both know Andy and yeah because so Andy was my platoon sergeant and then I went to selection and left and then he went to selection right and then he when he finished OTC he went to C, C squadron right and that's where yeah. Chris yeah met his, Andy his first in his first deployment um, on his first deployment that was during the invasion of Iraq and um, Andy was actually the, the first uh, unit casualty in Iraq um, we had lost the guy 
Chris Beer in Afghanistan prior to that, but Andy was the first guy in Iraq. And so I just wanted to tie that in because Chris mentioned Andy on his episode, and I think you guys only recently discovered, probably within the last year or so, that you both knew that person. Yep. And, which is yeah, wild. A, this year, this many years later, you know, we've had a we've had a lot of those. It's, this last year has been really fun for us because things that we otherwise would never talk about, we have because we're together every single day. Even today, um, stuff comes up. We're like, yeah, we're like, I didn't know that, and it's fun for both of us to fill in those gaps because we got there at the same time. We were both young, and we saw we both saw the evolution of the unit, yeah. but we saw it from different lenses, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which well, is, it's pretty cool. We not even just about. different teams, but you were actually different squadrons. Right. So yeah, absolutely, that very different lenses, very similar, but yeah. very but different. Yeah, it's, it's, so we do have those conversations, and that's. And and Chris, and Chris says, you know, this last year I've been there with Chris and Jason at Tier for a year now, and it's, I mean, it's it's Chris's office, Jason's office, my office. I mean, we have our own team room. Yeah, you know? that's cool. And and you need that. Yeah, and you're used to that, and that's you know that's the team room was where you could shut the door and vent, and then let it and leave it there, and then go back out and, and do your job. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we, when a, a shitty mission come down, and I would shut the door when I was a team leader, and I was like, "All right, you got two minutes, bitch, go." You know. All right, now we got that out of our system. How are we going to do this? You know. Yeah. So, I was going to ask you that, Lee. I was going to ask you to share, like, when did you know when you left the service and you went and worked for HP? When in there was it at HP, or was it later that you realized? you know what, man, I'm a team guy and I need to be a part of a team. It's how I thrive and how I'm successful. Um, it, it took me a while. I mean, it was staring me in the face, but I just couldn't see it because I had a little bit of ego there being my own man and standing on my own. And sure. Um, and, and, and what, what I've realized is not only am I a team guy, I'm a good two IC, you know, that's what a good NCO is, is he supports his commander. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I mean, it's been ingrained in me for mm-hmm. 20 years to be a good NCO. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of guys want to go do their own thing, and 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 they do, and some of them, you know, hats off, man, go do it. But we're that's what we're really good at. And I think if if you transition to the business world, I think that's where they should be plucking operators for. Like you, you have a CEO of a company, an operator will tell you if you're not wearing pants. You know, mm-hmm. he'll shut the door yeah. and say, "Hey, boss, you're fucking up." Mm-hmm. You know. Well, and there's not a lot of people. So just that open communication yeah. style that you're talking about in the in the private sector, there's not a whole lot of that that actually occurs in corporate America for sure. Because it could be, you open your mouth the wrong way or say the wrong thing, it could be the end of your career. Yeah, I mean you you're gonna have to move to another state and the whole bit and hope that people can't find you. And because I mean, it, it, word starts spreading through your networks as well. That well, the oh, problem you don't the me. problem is is you have you have a, a CEO who's who's a good businessman, he's older, and it's it's the fluff in between. Like when I was at HPE, luckily um, Brian, who was my boss, Brian Corona, great guy, still talk to him, um, he, he put me in the right position. So he's like, hey, his boss is boss. He's like, go talk to him about our program. So I go mm-hmm. talk to him and he's like, he's like, uh, what are you doing next weekend? You wanna go to the Army-Navy game with me? I'm like, yeah, sure, you know? And he's like, okay. So I, I go to the Army-Navy game, which it was the first time Army beat Navy in a long time. And we sat on the 50-yard line, second row. I'm, I roll in there. He's the vice president of sales for all of HPE. 
And he's like, all right, 15 minutes. We got to talk about work. Go. So I pitched I pitch the program, right? And he's like, he's just, he's blown. He's like, can you do this same thing? Like build these packets on companies we already have, you know, business with? I'm like, yeah, we had, that's even easier. We got access and placement. We can build even a better packet on those. And so we get funding for the program. And then he looks at me and he goes, you, you talk to me different. And I'm like, well, I don't mean to offend you. I think I'm just talking to you like a man. Yeah. He goes, yeah, I think I need more people like you around me. Right. Yeah. And that's what an operator brings. He goes in, he talks to a, a four-star general and says, hey, this is the ground truth. Yeah. I'm not going to fluff it. I don't care. I mean, you, you step into your pants one leg at a time. I jump into mine. Hey, we're not going to. I wasn't an operator, but I can tell you that that's something along the way that's probably um, hurt my career as much as helped it. Yeah. Because I, I am the same type of individual, and um, my transparency sometimes can get me into trouble. Because, like, that's what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. And that some people learn that art and that skill, and they think that that's the way that you can go on and excel within the company is because uh, you know when to talk, how to talk, how to position it. Where I'm just sometimes no filter. It's like this it's is a skill set, right? It is. It, and it is. You have something you have to hone. Like when I was younger, yeah. You know, I had I have one of my mentors, Joel told me, he's like, he's like, you know, you can say just about anything. You somehow you're, you get away Hopefully, with it. Yes. Yeah. But you, you know, sometimes you don't right. and I <laughs> get in trouble. Right? And, right. and there's a lot of people that didn't like me. Yeah. You know, right. especially older operators, uh, who'd been there, you know, that three, four year period. And then here yeah. comes Lee and I'm running off at the mouth saying that's wrong. Let's do this. Let's go faster. And, and, and so there might be a little bit of professional jealousy there. That place is very competitive, mm -hmm. and you know you get this selections and ongoing process. Very bureaucratic. I mean, those you know large companies like that, you end up having multiple layers and and the whole yeah. bit, and 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 so somebody could get lost in the shuffle. But the fact that he, I love that he sat you down and he said, okay. You know, basically, I want to let my hair down and have a good time. So I'm going to let you talk, and we're going to talk business for 15 minutes, go, and then we're going to enjoy the damn Fo game. Yeah, and we did. We had yeah. a great time. That yeah. is a sign of a good leader. Yeah. Really. But you, but you have to get past all the fluff in between, right? Sure. He's confident in himself. He's confident yeah. in his job. He's he's making a boatload of money already. Yeah. You know? All the fluff in between who are trying to be him, mm -hmm. they're they they withhold information. I think McChrystal, General McChrystal, when he was JSOC commander, did a very good job when he came over. Mm. Um he would he would put all the operators in a room, kick all the other officer officers out and say, Okay guys, what do you need? And he heard it. You know, we need more radios. He's like, what do you mean you need more radios? Like, this is why we need more radios. He goes, How come you guys don't have more radios? Because your staff hasn't put it in front of you. Oh, you know, a couple nice. days later, we had more radios. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What do we need to complete the mission? You have to get past that fluff. Yeah. You know? No, and it happens absolutely in corporate America yeah. or in private sector in any level. And so I also tell, you know, I hear people that talk and grumble about the military and, you know, hey, I'm in and, you know, this sucks. I'm going to get out. And What are the reasons why you're thinking that you want to get out? And, and when I hear some of those things, sometimes I got to say, well, you're going to find that throughout life. Yeah. People here are the same people there. Same people. You're just going to, you're going to have to learn to deal with that. And it's a question of whether you want to deal with it now or if you want to deal with it later, but you're going to end up facing it. And maybe you can make a difference while you're in 
and change that so that you don't then, like most people do, they follow their leader and how he le- they were led, yeah. and they, they do that the same way again. Instead, make a difference. Yeah. Go out there and try to, within the scope of control that you have. Yeah. You know, and, you get, and you get so many opportunities to be a leader in the military. Like, when? what do you mean? You're an NCO. When were you in charge? I was like, I was in charge when I was a private, right? Yeah. Hey, yeah. give me four Rangers. Clean this parking lot. Lee? Or Busby, if, if this isn't clean, it's going to be your fault. Yeah. So you're in charge of three other privates, and it's your job to clean the range or the parking lot. Or, so you, it's instilled to be a leader. Yeah. And then what you should do is, is look at your leader and say, okay, these are the qualities I'm going to take from him. These are the qualities I'm going to leave behind. Right. Mm-hmm. One of my best team leaders, Eddie Edmondson, was, he was a great leader because whenever I messed up, he would say, okay, why, why did you do this? And if I could explain my thought process leading up to my decision, he was fine with it. Mm. He, he was like, okay, next time, think about this, think about that, change this. And then, and then it was over with. Yeah. Where you have that leader where you mess up and, and, and a week later he's still, hey, dumbass, remember last week you fucked up? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and you have those type of leaders that can keep bringing it back, you know? Yeah. But uh, a good leader will walk you through it, try to, try to teach you how to think. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that's really important in, in is thinking about what you're going to do. Not all the time. Like I've ran, I've got on my kit, run to the helicopter and the mission is being planned over the radio because it's a time sensitive. And in your mind, you're, you're picturing yourself moving to breach, putting up the charge or turning that corner. And, and you're mentally preparing yourself because you can't physically go in the shoot house and, and put, you know, exactly the same layout of what you're going in. But mentally, you can picture yourself, you yeah. know, and, and you should do that. I mean, you should do that in real life. Yeah. Think about what you want to do and how and what it feels like. Yeah. You know, I, and that's something you continue to do. I continue to do that. Yeah. I was I was listening to Mike Glover the other day, yesterday. He was doing a live thing. He was talking about home defense. Right. And I'm sitting there listening to him and and I'm like, man, I wish people would could hear just like don't just think about home defense when you set up your cameras or lock your doors. Yeah. Think about it every day. Think about, hey, if something happens right now, where do I do? You could be driving to the shopping mall or mm-hmm. you could be in your kid's room or in the backyard working on the, you know, whatever. But okay, if something happens right now, what do I do? And it goes back to being a ranger when you're walking in a wedge formation and they say, okay, if we take contact right now, what tree do you get behind? And you're always thinking, okay, my next piece of cover is that tree and you're walking. Yeah. You're like, okay, if something happens right now to the right, I'm going to move here. You're, you're already thinking about it. So when you're in a stressful situation, you're not losing time because you have to think about something. You've already thought about it. Your body reacts, yeah. right? And you don't lose that time. Yeah. And it's little things. Like you don't need much to get value out of that. Like I like your, your ranger example because a big secret, like we'll practice this. We got a half an hour and they'll send the, the most senior private, like you're going to go do battle drill one and you'll, we'll go grab a stick or a broom. Yep. And you, you're walking across the quad or across the grass, wherever you happen to be. And you're going bang, 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 pew, pew, pew. And the sergeant is going peanut butter, peanut butter, yeah, jam. Exactly. Right. And, and it counts. That counts as training. It does. But there's two things I, I'm picking up from this because there's, there's one thing of, you know, living in the moment is kind of one thing that you can take out of this is making sure that you're aware of your surroundings, what you're thinking, what you're 
doing. And then the other part of this is a very valuable lesson, I think, too, is that if, if you look at it from a home security, that's one thing. But if you're always aware of your surroundings, what's going to go, uh, what's going on, what could potentially happen next, how do I need to prepare for that, what are the contingency plans, you know, what are my, you know, my strengths and weaknesses in this situation, you know, as well as the opportunities and threats are going to hit me, this is business 101. Yeah. This this is. is this is business 101 and leadership of setting within an, an organization and a company of how you can add value if you bring that to the workplace and you think with that mindset you're going to come in and you're going to be like all right um, what I can do here is I can listen to what you guys are saying going on outside with our customers with our competitors those types of things and I can bring that to the workplace and tell you that if we don't make this action or do this thing we could potentially lose that in the market share. Yeah. I know it sounds crazy, but listening to what you're no. talking about, people don't realize that some of the skills, I guess what I'm saying, that they learn within the military are very translatable in everyday life. Yes. You know, and it, it's, it's practice in the military. So you get to do it in real life. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of, one of the things that I've learned, well, not learned in the last year, Talking, being part of Tier, and talking to law enforcement, talking to agents, um, it's it's different, right? And everybody, and there's a little bit of cross pollinization. There's a lot of you know former military people in law enforcement, and in law enforcement this year's it, it's been tough on them, right? Yeah, right. The cancel yeah. culture type, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, but my hats off to law enforcement. They they do something every single day right and which scares the shit out of me yeah it, it does i mean you know what that does it breeds complacency and it's scary like we did we did time sense the target so we run put our kid on i knew like hey flip the switch you know go time yeah and then when i'm and then i tr take it all off i can relax mm -hmm. for the most part right and you have these these law enforcement out there every day and they're risking their lives they don't know what they're walking in on you know, and that's why I was like, I wish I could just have a voice like this and talk to them and say, hey, we need to change your TTPs. We need to. And, and we think about that. And, and we've and tier has some tools to add to the toolbox. Mm -hmm. Right. We have shields that are light enough to make it to, uh, you know, if you're serving a high risk warrant. And, and just in the last couple of months, we've lost some some agents just serving a high risk warrant where if they had a shield. They would have, you know, possibly, maybe, you know, be alive. Yeah. And it's, and I'm not trying to change your TTPs and I'm not trying to bring the military to the law enforcement. I'm like, hey, you have a problem. Let's look at it, dissect it and make a plan, mitigate risk and do your job. Yeah. Um, some of that, I, I feel bad because you talk to those guys and, and they have, you know, an ego or they want, oh, this is how we always do it. Well. That's why you're fucking yeah. up. Yeah. Because this is how we always do it. Yeah. So we've talked about on the show about just the um, post-traumatic stress. You know, we, we, you're talking about hitting it every day and everything, yeah. but the post-traumatic stress that those guys go through because, you know, they, they not only have to um, do their job and things happen in that situation, but they live in that community. They drive by those things all the time. And so there's, there's a lot that goes into the law enforcement community today that I think a lot of people don't just really pay attention to, yeah, you know, they, it's, it's they a tough see, job. They see the armpit of America. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Most definitely. And they see it locally to where they exist every day. Yeah. Like my, 
all the negative things I experienced overseas and the, the high impact stuff overseas. Like I, it's so far removed from my everyday life that it makes it, you know, a yeah. little easier to cope with. I mean, I need a, a helicopter, a task force, a plane ticket to Afghanistan, like to even be confronted with a situation like or you what I saw Chicago. overseas. Or I could go to Chicago, you know. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything or, about Chicago. I'm just jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's a big and a significant difference. I think and it I don't is. think it's recognized yeah. that like you're, you walk out your front door, you're on the job. Yeah. You know? yeah. I didn't take a, That's tough. I didn't take a Chinook home no. and park it in my front and you don't, yard. You don't get to train when you're home, right? Yeah. You train for so many months, and then, then you go to combat. And then yep. you train some more, and you go to combat. They're, they don't get time to train. Right. And when they do, it's limited. Yeah. But you expect so much from them. Oh, so much. Yeah. So, yeah. They can't make a mistake. Yeah. That's right. It's, I, I was going to add that there's a... Um, when you back to the post-traumatic stress piece in law enforcement and military, um, when you go through your own personal struggles as a military person and the things that we've done and been through, you know, in the beginning you, you're very inward looking and it takes time. Your healing process takes time. Getting better takes time. Um, but eventually when you start to get on the upside of it and you start communicating and you start getting more open and you start talking to people from all walks of life, what you find out is post-traumatic stress can come from, a, a billion in one areas. Um, mm -hmm. It could be singular events. It could be cumulative events. But for me, I kind of had an awakening as I started to get better. And particularly after I started opening up about it and then people reaching out to me is I realized on, on the first responder and law enforcement side, there was stuff with them that I never even thought about. There were, there were events and fears that they have things that have happened to them that you don't even think about as a soldier. You yeah. think, Oh, I, I have to go in harm's way yeah. every day but but law enforcement like lee said or, or or paul said you know every day you walk out that door you you don't know what could happen to you um and a lot of horrible stuff does uh over those period of years there's a guy that we work with which was really my when i really started paying attention was he he was a retired law enforcement officer 30 years um arizona dps uh you know was the number two cop in the state one of the best humans you will ever meet in your life. And the first year that he was with tear, um, he struggled. And because I know what that feels like, know what that looks like, because I went through it, I saw it in him. So I would ask him questions like, how you doing? And I was amazed at the stuff that came out of him, things that we don't ever have to deal with. Like he ran the honor guard for the department. And so when a friend of his was killed in the line of duty, not only was that friend killed, but he was responsible for running every single detail that buried those guys oh, and rendered those gosh. honors. Wow. And, yeah. and I never even thought about stuff like that and, and the amount of emotional toll that that takes and how important it is for those guys to be able to get that stuff out and heal and talk to somebody. So even he and I on two opposite sides of the spectrum, a police officer, and a, and a, and a, and a SMU operator that spent 20 years in the army, we have so many similarities in it. And, and once we started talking about it, it helped both of us. Was he receptive to that? Uh, it sounds like he was, but I, I've also heard that a lot of police officers or not a lot, can't say a lot, but I've, I've heard feedback that at times police officers can't really, um, they're not willing to accept the military's post-traumatic because it's very different. And there's um, people in the military that, I well, mean, there's operators yeah. out there that can't admit that they have some type of PTSD. How can you do so many rotations and not be affected by your environment? Yeah. It's impossible, yeah. right? It's, it's impossible. 
Yeah. And the first thing you have to do is say, okay, yeah, I have, I have some issues. Now let's figure out what are my triggers and how do I, you know, deal with that? Yeah. You know, but you have to be honest with yourself. You can't, you can't say, no, I'm, I'm badass. Mm. I'm, I'm, you know, you can, <laughs> yeah. it, you can say it, but that uh, doesn't make it real. I saw a study at one time frame and I brought this up on past episodes and I say these kinds of things, for people who listen in and they're going, Robert saying that again, but at any rate, you know, you're hearing it for the first time, but the, um, there was a study that they started identifying that there are patterns within people that either within their socioeconomic makeup or their DNA or whatever that could potentially put them in a higher rate of post-traumatic stress than in uh, than maybe other individuals yeah and so they're coming into the military maybe with things that happen in their life or just because of their life and the way they're genetically made genetically yeah and so when you put them in those types of uh, situations it's worse 10 times worse yeah everyone deals with things differently yeah right yeah that's yeah. Yeah, but I I tend to think though you, that may be the ceiling and that's the high end. But there, I, I find it hard to believe that there's not a floor, that there's not a guy that doesn't have a level of post traumatic stress. To your point, I got a good one for you. I got a good one for you guys. Um, back to what we were saying earlier, is the trophy society mentality is the fact that children aren't dealing with losing or loss early on in their life and learning those lessons and how to get over those is that contributing to more cases of post-traumatic stress because people don't know how to work through those things or they're, or they're worse at it now than, than generations prior. Strong. I agree. Yeah. I would, I would bet that, I would bet that they are, there yeah, are I mean, more cases or that your, your threshold becomes lower yeah. because you've never had to deal with negative consequences or accept the fact yeah. that, Hey, bad stuff happens in life and you got to dust off and get up and get, get going again. Yeah. I like guess that's yeah, I mean, point. I remember being a kid. I remember being a kid and, and, you know, playing in summer league baseball and on the all-star team, and we made it to, to like, regional finals or something, and, and we lost because of – I had a hit to keep us in the game, and then I lost a fly ball on the lights playing center field, and I felt like – even though the guy didn't score on that, he scored on, like, two plays later or whatever, but I remember crying after that game as a yeah. kid, and I remember, I remember my dad going – you know, hey, that stuff happens. You know, you got to pull your pants up. You guys fought hard to get to this point, and next year you'll be even better. Like, I got to learn that lesson, like, so many times as a child, and and I don't know that kids do now. How do you think that that actually, because I'm going to turn the table in, how do you think that that helped you? So for somebody that's listening that says, hey, you're calling me out, I'm in that generation, how do you feel like those things actually helped you through your post-traumatic stress challenges? Well, I think I think the that I've quoted it before. There's there's winners and losers, and the difference is the loser tried again. Um, the, the learning that lesson of failure and overcoming failure is the same gateway into recovering from an event or post traumatic stress or injury or whatever. Mm. At, at some point, you have to look inward and you have to go, okay, what are the reasons that this happened? What are the ones that I can control or, or change or make better? Um, what did I learn from it? And how am I going to do it different next time? I think it's the same process. Uh, you, it might be different material, but it's the same process to recovery is you have to look at all the things that occurred, what was good, what was bad, what did it do to me? 
Um, are there ways that I can do it differently? Do I need to get smarter in a particular area? What do I need to learn? Whatever it is, I think that process is the same. So, for and if me, you don't do that, Chris, and if you don't, then you get you're stuck. You're stuck dwelling on something that was negative. Like if I thought about every bad shot, I wouldn't have followed it up with a better shot. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I have to. Okay, yep, bad shot. I know why. Here's the right shot, and and being able to to do that at a very quick pace, right? But that's that's what Chris is exactly what Chris is talking about is, hey, let me assess this, let me get over it, let me fix it, and then move on. Let, let me get up and, and try again. And if you don't do that when you're young and you start doing it when you're 18 or, or 20 years old in college is the first time you get to do that because mom always called the, the teacher or, yeah. or got you extra credit because you didn't turn your homework in. So, oh, yeah, I got, I still passed. I, you know, mom got, you know what I mean? Right. So if you don't get to do that when you're young on little things, how are you going to manage big things in life when, when you, you know, real, you know, bad things can happen Yeah. and you have to deal with and, it. And I, and not learning, not learning to deal. Um, that's that's the path of depression too. That's the oh man, no matter what I do, I I lose. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't can't do anything to change this. Like that's the gateway to being down there. That that yep. is so unhealthy. Which which like, brings you back the, to what we were talking about about training. So now you're training your brain to think like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. But that's so. There's two things though. You're. You're having to look introspectively, which nobody ever wants to do because it's hard, yeah. right? You, you don't like to talk about the things that are brought, bothering you or, or especially if you're a man, you know, because we live in a society where you're not supposed to do that. Well, right. it's kind of evolving itself. But I mean, we're we're getting to, you know, it's one of these things where we feel like we can't um, expose those things because then we'll look weak and uh, less of a person or less of a man. And, and yet that's the very thing that we should do. And yet we're not doing it. Yeah. Well, a lot of that goes to because we get judged. Selection is an ongoing process. And if I tell you that I did something wrong, now you're judging me for it. Yeah. Right? Now you don't like me, and and then I I worry about that. Yeah. Right? Selection is an ongoing process. That that phrase right there has probably screwed me over more than it's helped me. And I've heard that a lot. And I, when, I, when I heard that statement, I thought the exact same thing. There are positive aspects of that. That was an older culture of the military, you know, and, and I could see that working with certain, in, in a certain time period and stuff. And maybe it still screwed them up as well. But, but yeah, but you're putting a hell of a lot of pressure on everything that you, before you think of something to say, before yeah. you react to something, you're constantly thinking, oh shit, if I screwed this up, this is my one opportunity. And I think, I think at the unit selection is an ongoing process and it should be, but you can't take that same philosophy and apply it to life. Like life is not a selection process. Yeah. Life is life. Go live it. You're going to make mistakes. You know what that makes you? You better. Well, and better. Well, so somebody's, uh, I was speaking with, um, I'm working with a a client now, uh, a company and stuff, and they asked me to come and speak to their small group of team and about, you know, change management and some of the things that we're kind of working on. And I mentioned then that it's okay to fail forward, you know, is one of the things that I said, because if you're learning from it, and you're changing your behavior in the way that, uh, that you're doing things and stuff, then that's okay. You're yep. learning from your mistakes. It's when you don't learn from your mistakes, is it's where it could be not only yeah. bad for you, but everybody around you. If you're making the same mistake more than once, yeah. you need to change how you're training. You need to change how you're thinking. Because you, if you make a mistake, you should learn from it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I think this is a a really good piece of the conversation because there's so many um, that are coming forward now who are talking about their struggles with post-traumatic stress. Um, We're starting to learn a lot more now about the the challenges that traumatic brain injury is causing on individuals. And there are some overlaps in the, in, and how people react, but yet there are very different things as well. And I think it's fascinating that we're going down this because we're going to start hopefully healing and helping. It's a work in progress, but at least we're talking about it. Whereas we never talked about it before. What you said, what really resonates with me, what you said is, is how we react to it, mm-hmm. right? how you react. And that's, that's one of those things that you can, you can look in the mirror and say, if you're honest with yourself, like yeah. something happens and you react with PTSD or, you know, or TBI, um, or both you, you tend to have a, a reactions that's not equal to the situation. Mm-hmm. Right. You you have a, a reaction that is greater than what the circumstances calls for. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I deal with that. Those are, you know, you, and when you can find those triggers and say, I am so mad. And you look at yourself and you're like, I'm so mad and I, I want to explode inside. And then you think about it. You're like, I'm so mad over this small little thing. Yeah. yeah. And then you can process it. Hopefully. Well, that's when you learn how to. Right. Right. How, you go for a run. Yeah. You know, go hike or go, yeah, you know, go mountain, hike yeah. or go off-roading or yeah. do something that you can enjoy and, and change your mindset and let that release happen instead of just being mad at the world, mm-hmm. you know? I, I also think it's really important whether you want to be successful in business or you want to be successful in recovery, it's important to surround yourself with good people um, and because they're, they're critical to that. Like yeah. the people around you, that give you an outlet or that are positive in nature instead of negative. I think that's so reinforcing and it makes it so much easier to look inward, to identify things that are affecting you and then choose the right way to react to them versus the wrong. And that's something you can control. You can control who's in your life. If someone's in your life and they're toxic, cut them out, man. Yeah. Help them or try to help them. If they don't want help, then just cut them out. You don't need it. Energy flows, and you don't want that energy, man. Now that's like cancer. I'm with it you. is. Cut it out. Cut it out. Cut it out. It's the same thing at work. If someone at work is cancer, then go to HR. Yeah. You know, get rid of them. Yeah, if you can. So, you know, aren't we also talking, though, too, about holding one another accountable as well? Yeah. We're talking about openly talking about it. Let's let's talk about it, and let's hold one another accountable. Hey, it looks like... You know, Lee, you're having like, you know, Chris recognized with this friend that's in the police force, you know, I'm seeing things. It looks like you're having some struggles. And so at that time frame, you're kind of holding that person accountable and saying, I I also have experienced those things. Let's talk about it. Let's move forward. Let's see if we can find a path. And, you know, Chris, we talked about on your episode that it, it's it's a work in progress. It's not something that's a one and done. You can't find yeah. the magical pill uh, pill that's going to cure you. You know, yeah. it, today it might be great that you're going out there and you're, you know, you're doing a, a fishing thing or you're going golfing or you're hiking or you're into running and all of that. But it can quickly come back. It's how well you deal with it when those occurrences happen and, and again, who you surround yourself with and how those individuals are holding you accountable of how you're going to be able to progress forward. Yeah. And, and I think that's what Chris and I have at work where we have each other, where we have unconditional love for each other, mm-hmm. you know, where I can go in his office and, and I can say this happened 
and I know he's not going to, you know, selection ongoing process, Lee, you're fired. Right. You, you know what I mean? It's like, well, <laughs> right. well, I love you. Yeah. And he gives me a hug. Yeah. You know, and it's okay for guys to do that. Yeah. You know, it's okay. And, you know, it feels good. Like I call, I talked to a buddy, one of someone I hold on a, a very high pedestal and, and we get off the phone and he goes, he, he's like, I love you. I love you too, brother. Wow. And to be able, I mean, how powerful that is to, to know that you have, you have someone that loves you unconditionally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that, that, go ahead, Chris. I, I was just going to say, it's, it, I think, uh, particularly with guys that come from, from alpha communities, it's, it's a, it's a growth moment when you realize that unconditional love just isn't just for your spouse or your, or your family or your children. Yeah. It's yeah. about the, the people in your life also that you care about. That could be a coworker. That could be a friend. Um, and the ability to show that to them and make them understand that it's there is so huge, uh, particularly when you're talking about recovery. Like yeah. when they know they can come talk to you and when you know you can talk to them, it really changes your thought process with dealing with uh, with things. Yeah. I think it's – I love these conversations because we always – it used to be, and uh, for a lot of people, it still is like you, you don't tell your buddy you love him until you're standing at his at his headstone. Yeah, you know, and and you're sitting there thinking, I wish I would have said these things. I wish that he could know, you know, or she could know what what they meant to me and how yeah. proud I am or honored I am. And I I was lucky. I learned that uh, after Michael Jankowitz died, and um, I thought I love that guy. Yeah. I he was the coolest stranger. I probably ever met and it's so much fun to be around and he didn't know that yeah. I felt that way I mean, we, chance to tell him. we spent some time and stuff yeah. like that and um, you know I, I, I like that you guys end your conversations that way too or your phone calls like that too yeah. I, I do that with some of my buddies and you know it's important to do because it it's not just for it's good for recovery it's good to be honest with these things but it's also it's going to make you more resilient when you lose somebody because yep. then you're not going to be standing at that, you know, at that gravesite or that funeral or talking to somebody's family member saying, you know, I, he meant this much to me and I wish I could tell him because you you already have said it. Yeah. And that's one less, that's one step closer to being, you know, healthy whole. and whole yeah. and, and moving on. Isn't, isn't this though, maybe Chris, we talked about this uh, in your episode, but isn't this a little bit more to, that goes along with the the culture that you're in, even within the military and that, you know, it's, it's the next mission. You know, we gotta, we gotta, you can't focus on that. You gotta let it go. And, and we're taught that anyway, just in general, but I'm right. saying it can be a lot worse in, in, you know, especially, um, units that are constantly being deployed in soft community and such. And so because of that, it's harder than to, it, to take that moment and just go, Hey, before we do anything else, I just want to let you know, because typically the, you're not exposing your feelings any other time because you're not taught to. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there that it just seems like it's it's going to be hard to all of a sudden go, I'm in touch with my feelings all the time, but I'll turn this off, but I'll tell you how much I care about you um, now. Well, I think there's a lot of compartmentalization going on there, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. Right? You compartmentalize stuff and... And the problem is, is we're really good at it. Yes. And you box all this stuff up. And, but when do you unpack it? Yeah. You know, 
and that's when things get kind of weird. Or you get to a point where all your boxes are full and you can't compartmentalize stuff anymore. Yep. And it it comes out in ways that are destructive usually, right? Yeah. It's either destructive yeah. on the family side or it's destructive at the on the work side. Right. Or or both. Yep. Right. Um, some of us need a little bit of chaos in our life. So controlled chaos is okay, but don't make sure you know why you're doing something and you're not just reacting. You got a bunch of boxes full of stuff that you haven't dealt with. Yeah. You know? But talking about looking introspectively, doesn't that also mean that you've got to um, hold yourself accountable and recognize while you're, you're going through it? You're yes. the only one who can do it. Yeah. You know, you're the only yeah, one that can look yourself in the mirror and, and hold yourself accountable. I was going to say one one of the reasons that that Lee and I and we talk about this frequently. One of the reasons that we're talking and sharing and I, I guess exercising candor with everybody is openly and honestly expressing our opinions and our flaws and successes and whatever is. Um, at the end of the day, the community needs that. It needs uh, leadership. It needs someone to show them that it's okay to do this. It's okay to communicate. It's okay to have flaws and have made mistakes and, and share that information with your buddy to help you get better and help him get better. Um, and it's one of the things that we're trying to do. And it, and it, it's a, it's a small level on our scale, but I think leave particularly for the last year, like every dude that we have come in contact with and reconnected with, it's been helpful. Like whether they've heard things that we've said or a conversation yep. that we have with them in that moment, like just having that candor and that honesty and openness to express all of this stuff has been beneficial, I think. And, and I hope it continues. I, I think we will continue it, Chris. Definitely. Well, I, I would, when I did my first podcast, I only did one other one and, and I had one of our OTC instructors call me. He like, which he's never called me. Right. Um, and, and, and I was so scared. I was nervous. Well, I was nervous for the podcast because I didn't want to talk about stuff and get in trouble with the community because I still, you know, care. Like, yeah, I, I do care what, what they think and, and how I represent, you know, our community. But uh, so someone who is OTC instructor, I, I mean, Kyle Lamb calls me and says, hey, you did a good job. Right? I mean, that's better that's than huge. any award I've ever got, right? Yeah. I mean, medals are medals, but yeah. have someone like that, that, that means something. Yeah. To, to, to have someone call you. And because you openly talk about that, and then guys that you hold, such a high standard for are okay with it. And they're like, Hey, I have, I have issues too. I mean, or I need to talk about more of that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, I think that's a good example too, of just the, the smallest amount of effort and how big an impact that is. Cause it doesn't take any effort to press a button on the phone, call everybody and say, Hey, I'm proud of you. Hey, you did a good job. Hey, you got promoted at work. You had whatever it is. Yeah. And just tell them, tell them. And I still think about that. I was like, I mean, just, you know, reliving that emotion. Like, did you ever tell him how you felt about that phone call? Uh, I think I did. Good. Yeah. Cause I hopefully he hears it now. If not, but I mean, yeah. I, you know, we were just talking about telling him how you feel and everything. Yeah, so do. yeah. Cause I mean, that's to me, that would hopefully and probably was powerful back just as much to him to go, wow, I didn't realize I left that much of an imprint, you know, that I really, I had, I had someone DM me, and they said, hey, such and such told me to listen to your podcast. 
thank you. You know what I mean? And yeah. you get feedback and it's yeah. like, yeah, amazing. Like you're helping out. You're helping people out. You're helping yourself, but you're helping other people too. And yeah. it's, yeah, you know, it's, well, and just just taking the time to pick up the phone and put something positive into the world, like that's that's going to make a energy. difference, and that can turn the tide. Yep. You know, of validating someone and giving them some value to their efforts, even if it's a small thing. Yeah. I mean, we're everybody is always asking, how do we stop this twenty-two a day thing? Yeah, how do you stop? Now it? it's twenty-eight. Well, they're they're learning from just I think this war. Yeah, and yeah. and you know. Uh, but I also, people, yeah. But know? I'm also like, hey, we're still holding each other accountable. It's not, yeah. it's not okay to fail, fail, fail at the same thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Agree. Right. I'm. That's not the culture 100%. I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're not giving a pass, and now everyone's getting a ribbon. So there's, it's, it's still tough. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's yeah. why it's hard to talk about because it's still tough because we're not. I'm not just giving everyone a pass. Right. And I don't expect a pass either. Right. That's what I was talking about earlier, about you have to be able to love and care for one another enough that you're willing to hold each other accountable. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that, then you're not really both going to progress forward. You know, you got to be able to call one another out. You called each other out back in the day. Yeah. Hard. Like after actions report. (laughs) Yeah. Hot wash. Rough, yeah, right? yeah, rough, yeah. But also, it's part of that learning to be human. And one of the problems I had at the unit is we got the, we got there very young. And as I progressed and became a leader, the the people who who were ahead of me still pictured me as a twenty four year old mm. asshole or hothead or whatever. Yeah. They pictured me. I'm like, hey, I'm thirty five years old, guys. Like. Look at me a little bit differently. Open your eyes. You know, I make good. You know, I'm making decisions here. Yeah. Um, and we and we tend to do that. We we put someone, we label them, and then yeah. that's where we keep them in time and space where everyone should be evolving. Yeah. Not everyone does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not everyone does, and and you yeah. can recognize that. There's guys there that I'm like, you're the same E6 that was in Ranger Battalion. Why? How come you haven't progressed? <laughs> right. Yeah. And I'll call you out on. Fuck yeah. it. You yeah. Know? Call me out on. Do you, we see it a lot. Do you, I think. I, I was gonna say. I, I think that's a good lesson. I think growth. I think understanding that you can and will and should grow as a person and then also being able to recognize that the other people is very important but to to lee's point yep you know that that guy that the guy that you knew when he was 23 in, in in ranger battalion is not the same guy at 35 after 20 years in the military like yeah. they they grow as people and then the second point to add to what we're saying is like Lee said you're not giving people a pass you're not it's not like it's okay to, to wallow and blame things that have happened to you or your circumstances for everything. Um, that person has to have personal accountability and they have to, uh, they have to want to get better. They have to try to get better. You cannot help a guy. You cannot assist someone. You can't be there for someone that isn't willing to help themselves. Yep. So yeah. that that's, that's important. A, that's a critical in it's a, it's an important part um, that we all have to remind ourselves and that we have to remind each other when, when you come across an individual or in, in yourself that, Hey, look, I have to, I have to focus on fixing me as well as all this other stuff. I've said the same thing, but you know, I'm just listening to that, Chris, I'm, I'm like holding myself accountable right now, but I'm thinking that's really damn hard to do, um, to work with somebody who doesn't want to help themselves. And, and needs to come to that point where they recognize it. And, and you're really struggling. 
And I can remember situations where I just checked out. It's just like, man, you, you know, you're you're sucking the life out of me. You're bringing me down. And so I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tap out right now. And you've got to get your life straight, and you've got to recognize you've got a problem. the The thing is, though, is that if that individual does something really bad, you know, and after that, then you think, why, why couldn't I have done more? Why didn't I push more? And so how is that person going to eventually get out of the rut to know? And many of us have hit rock bottom and we were fortunate enough to bounce back up, you know, and get back on our feet again. But some people hit that bottom and they just can't dig their way back up. Is that what I'm saying? And how do you get them? Or you see, you see them at the bottom what you perceive as rock bottom and they still have a ways to go down and that's it's hard to watch i mean I'm, you have to i mean i hit rock bottom yeah. i i checked myself in the hospital i i hit rock bottom you know but the only person that helped me was myself i i learned tools people yeah. gave me tools yeah. um but uh you you can't stay in that relationship cuz it, it then you could start spiraling down too Yes, but right. you've got to help that person through it, though. Well, only, well you don't that's have to. You don't. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you don't. don't. You're holding yourself accountable for their actions, then. Yeah. And and you have to be accountable for your actions. And yes, you want to help them, but you don't want to hurt yourself at the same time, mm-hmm. right? I think. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll help anyone if they want to help themselves. I'll talk about tools I use or whatever to mm-hmm. get through, you know, struggle. But if if you're not willing to change how you're thinking yeah because that's i mean that's literally what you have to do you have to train your brain to think differently yeah and it takes repetition it takes practice and it it takes cognitive processing to know what you're doing wrong and how to how to change that right for somebody for me in my situation it was somebody who um i think i've shared this in the past that, that actually stepped in and helped me remember who i was before and, and that's the trigger moment or the thing. Um, and, and I didn't realize how much of a rock bottom I had hit. And I've said this in, in previous episodes until I was in a car and my son-in-law, um, we went to go get, I think, some propane or something. We were going to barbecue. And, and he said, um, it's good to have you back. And at that moment, I, I said, you know, what do you mean? And he goes, it's just good to have you back. And he got out of the car and he walked inside. And if I remember correctly, I, I kind of paused for a moment to think, wow, I didn't realize that I had been gone. Yeah. You know, I didn't realize that I had forgotten everything and who I was, including who I was. Yeah. And that, that was an important moment. Yeah. I like, I like that's, that's uh, I think of it more like I'm not going to let who I was behind me in history define who I am now and who I'm going to be, yeah. right? I'm going to be the best version of myself. Sometimes I'm going to fuck up. Sometimes I'm going to mess up, right? Um, but that doesn't mean I have to, to, that doesn't destroy who I am. It means I'm human. I made a mistake, but I can still work towards being the best version of myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's kind of, I think he recognized in me that I had forgotten myself, and, and it's about finding that, I, I kind of call it now like my anchor, you know, I need to find what are the things for me, what was most helpful was finding the things that anchored me. What were the things that held me down and kind of gave me that, you know, align my purpose back and align stability you know, and 
and, and once I started, for me, once I started recognizing and calling myself and into that and saying, okay, these are the things I, if I, if I find a way to get that hook back in, you know, and, yeah. and get that, you know, then, then I can only, I can drift, but at least it's there, yeah. you know, and, and it gives me that foundational purpose. I, I think I love what you just said though, about, you know, again, it's living in the moment. You can only do today what the moment right now that you're given. That's it. That's all you can control. You can't control what's going to happen no. five minutes from now. In your circle of, of influence. influence yeah. Right. Right. It's the only thing you got. If it's outside of your influence, then hey, don't waste a lot of energy on it. It's a hard lesson. It is. Yeah. And it, and it's something you you have to practice, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it totally is. And I think it's one of those things that most people don't really focus on because at that time frame for me, I was actually living in the future. I was one of those individuals that was constantly thinking about when I needed to do, uh, to lay down a plan and a path forward. And I was so enamored and so focused on that, that I had forgotten everything else. Yeah. And, um, and that was, that was something, again, I had to start getting back to, and it's only taken me, you know, I'm not talking about a long number of years. This is only five years ago. So it, it, it took me, um, a long part of my life to realize what was most important, what I needed to focus on, that I need to live in the moment. And it is still a work in progress. Yeah, it, it will be right. For, I know I recognize I know. for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's and it can be so easy to let something be that trigger and get back, but at that moment you got to be able to call yourself out and just go, wait, wait, yeah. wait, just a minute, something's not right here. And, and when you're in that rock bottom, it's okay to get some help. Yeah, it's yeah. okay to talk to people. That was one of my problems is when I when I when I started spiraling down, I didn't talk to any of my buddies. I was like, oh, I don't want to talk to them. I'm not in a good place right now. Why would yeah. I want to talk to them? Because selection's an ongoing process. They'll know I'm not doing well. Yeah. They'll yeah. fire me, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and so I didn't reach out to people. And that's it was at the it, that's when you need to reach out to people more than they ever. Yeah. You know? You know, and you know who your friends are. Like yeah. like we talked about unconditional love. You know who you can reach out to. And if you don't, then reach out to a professional. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. You know? But yeah. there are uh, I think that I hear more that inside, you know, the military, they're starting to recognize that more. Um, I think there are leaders out there that are trying to change that culture, trying to make it to where people are, um, aren't afraid anymore to come forward. It's okay. We'll let you tap out and then we'll let you tap back in. If everything comes, that's better. the key right there. Like if I, if I raise my hand and say, I need a break. Do yeah. they let me back in the game? Yeah, let me get a blow. Yeah. Let me yeah. go back, sit down, yeah. you know, get a chance to breathe. Yeah. I did I did twelve rotations overseas. Yeah. Straight. I didn't I didn't miss a rotation. I had you know, I scheduled my surgeries in between rotations. Um <laughs> and I, I think I one, you know, you re enlist and you get I get time to go to college. Mm -hmm. But I was like, how could I go to college? My team's going overseas. Yeah. If something happens and I'm not there. That's worse. You know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's being able to recognize, and there's probably times in my life where I should have said, Hey, I need to sit this one out. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, I went through a divorce, you know, it's like, Hey, I just, I just want to sec. I want to catch the second bird. I just need a week. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 You just need a week. Yeah. That's all. I need. I'm good. I'm good. The fact that they recognize that and they were okay with it is great. Yeah. And, and I could have asked for more, but I went to my command. I was like, Hey, I just need to, I want to be on the second bird because I've, this is the first time I have my son Yeah. and I want that extra time with him. And they're like, yeah, no problem, Lee. Yeah. 
Have you, you don't know if you ask and talk to people. Have you yeah. guys, you two, um, Chris and Lee, ever thought about like doing public speaking and coming and, and talking to guys or especially in the soft community in some environment? You know, and <laughs> Chris, have we talked about that? Yeah, <laughs> we we've Quite talked. A bit. Yeah, uh, you know, we we you know so important with Chris and I being together every day. Yeah, you know, we could we could definitely set up just something like this at work, and you know, just I mean, if people could hear the conversations just him and I have, you know, and be a fly on the wall, I think it would help them because it helps us. Yeah, and, so, and quite entertaining sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the no pro- shit, there I was. I, 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 we do, we do talk about it a lot. Um, it's it, <laughs> the only way I think otherwise. It's difficult, right? Like, like this is. Um, we're all dealing with our own stuff. Uh, I think the epiphany I had was a. It's okay for me to share that with people, and then b. There's good post effects for me and for others. So we're definitely doing more things like that. Um, I got asked, uh, recently, um, to speak at a, at a international police conference. It's like a year out. Thank God it's in November. Um, but the guy reached out to me based on a podcast and it was a law enforcement officer. And he said, I listened to you guys talk about some of these things. Um, and it wasn't war story. It was, it was this stuff. And he said, our, our focus of our conference this year is resiliency. And we think your message, if you wouldn't mind come and speaking to all these officers would be really good. And on the one hand, I was taken aback. I was like, wow, like, um, that's not really me. And then I thought about it for a minute and I said this to Lee, I was like, in terms of personal growth, I think this is good for me. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's back to what you and I talked about Rob with the podcast and, the impact of those. And so why should I shy away from it? Why, why wouldn't I go out there and stand in front of a room full of people um, that absolutely are dealing with similar issues, even though they have a different, different background. Um, If I, if I can help even one of them, uh, it's all, it's also helping me. Why wouldn't I do that? So I absolutely said yes. And they, and they were like, wow, you know, we're so excited to have you now. I've never done that, so luckily I have like eight months to prep, and I got Lee to help me with the message. That scares the shit out of me. Yeah, it, it is I'd scary. rather be in a firefight. How many people do you got to talk to, Chris? Do you know how he many? He said three to, four, three to 400. It's in Chicago. <laughs> nice. And I don't, have, I don't have a problem with public speaking. Like, I, it doesn't, I don't get nervous. Yeah. It's just that that's, that's a different setting. I'm hoping, Rob, like I said to you, it's better when you're in person, like I can yeah. Like, like Lee's there with you. He's just like me. He would rather sit across from you and look at you and yeah. have a conversation. I, there. Yeah, I couldn't do the, the phone. I have to, I yeah. mean, we're talking about mental preparation. I mean, I'm mentally prepped yeah. to open up. I thought about it, how it was going to feel before I came in here and did it. I mean, the thought of getting in front of 300 people scares the shit out of me. Well, and, and what's, it, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say, it, 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 the last point I wanted to make on it was, it's like Lee's comment about Kyle calling him. You know, the, here's a guy that, that we looked up to that was one of our instructors. And then, and then I served with because he came back to squadron um, post-instructor time. But it's a guy that we really looked up to. And th- the difference it made for him when Kyle called and said, hey, man, you did a really good job. Like, I'm proud of you. Like, uh, that reinforces the point of when people look to you um, 
as a as a leader or as a person that they respect or as a person that they know has overcome challenges or something and you are okay with exposing yourself talking through that and sharing with them your experiences it might not be the answer for them but that's huge that's impactful yeah um and we we should all be happy to do that when and how we can yeah it's one of the i mean why we have this podcast is for this right here it it really was for me when I originally set up Mentors for Military, I didn't know what it was going to be. I, I had no idea. Um, Rudy Lindsay was an individual that the two of us kind of teamed up together. He was a former warrant officer at 3rd Special Forces Group. And we started like we spent one day, not just one day, but many days, four hours on the phone just saying, what what is what are we trying to accomplish here? What do we really want to do? And and the whole, the theme kept coming back to we want to give back in some ways. You know, whether it's through our stories and the things that we can share, either from our journey in life, our time in the military, our time, you know, out in the private sector and doing things, um, or it's the guests that we have on the show. The premise is just that. It's how, how can we find a way to give back? And I think that's the thing that keeps us going. Uh, we, we talked about it in the episode that we just dropped, but you get that one message. You get that one phone call. It, it breathes life into me for months. Yeah. Because then it's like I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. You know. It's that it's that having a purpose. Right? If you don't yeah. have a purpose, you're lost. Yeah. Right? You have a purpose. What you're doing here, there's a purpose for this. And it's helping people. It's helping, you know, not only people who are listening, but the people who come on here yeah. and pour their hearts out, right? Open up and yeah. say, hey, this is who I really am. Yeah. Yeah. Selection ongoing process, well, you know, select, yeah. <laughs> yeah, here I am. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've, we've all got that, that service gene too, right? Like that thing that service has always been important to us. It was part of the reasons why we chose the career path that we chose. And I think it's still there today. So, yeah. you know, when you, if you, if you cut that out of your life post, you know, when you move on to career number two, whether you're a, a first responder or law enforcement or government official or whatever, you move on if you cut service out of your life there's like there's a hole there and and so filling it is important and if you're if you're helping others while you're doing it it's it's, it's amazing here's the crazy part of this whole thing of what we're talking about um it wasn't until probably recently it kind of hit me but you know i used to look at say movie stars or you know people in you know theater and all that kind of stuff and think oh my god you know what i'm watching was something from 15 20 years ago and look at the legacy that they left behind and look at you know the work the piece of work there that people are going to be able to share forever of what they did and not only that, but maybe, you know, in certain situations, the family members who never got a chance to see their parent in that different light, grandparent or even great-grandparent, because it's in the 40s of something that they're watching on a television or a movie, and they recognize, that's my grandparent, and I'm getting a chance to see them, that's here. This is going to live on. Yeah. And this message and the things that we're talking about are going to be in a podcast world Forever, forever, yeah. I I love that because I always think about like Band of Brothers. We've all watched that show, and what was really sad to me about that show is that some of these guys went completely unrecognized until they were very, very old men at the very end of their lives. Yeah, and many of them didn't didn't even even ever get to be recognized for the things that they did for their country. And so to be able to take your stories 
and the stories of you know the people we served with and like kind of create that yeah. that space for that to be told. Yeah, that's huge. It's I just going to keep it, it. But the beauty of that is it's not like a radio type of thing. And that's what I loved about podcasting. Why we chose this platform is because it's not just you have to be listened to it at that moment. We have people that contact me and go, listen, I started off with your last episode because somebody told me about mentors for military. But I'm going back now. I've already listened to 50 episodes. And my goal is by the end of the year to get back all the way to one blows your mind right so this is going to be something that um that people are going to listen to over and over and over again some people would do it just because they want to listen to the same episode three or four times but others will be that three years from now they're going to stumble upon your episode lee and they're going to listen to it and it may resonate it's i I, to think about that it's because i always think it's like why who wants to listen to me i'm nobody i'm just you know you have that mentality it's like i'm not why should I go on there and talk? No one. I'm just, I'm just Lee. Yeah. But you're right. You you capture that. And I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I probably should have led with that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd be like, well, I don't want to leave too much in the <laughs> for a legacy here. I, <laughs> I do want to get back to tier tactical because at some point, you know, you were you go through this whole military career. Mm-hmm. We talked about in the very beginning. You know, when you made the transition to HP and everything. Yep. Uh, how was it you got called into Tier Tactical? Because I don't think we talked about that. No, we didn't. Um, so I was living in Vegas, and I just signed um, a lease on a condo on the Strip. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have a job. I was retired. Like, I'm gonna, you know, am I going to do some training now? What am I going to do? I was doing some protection detail stuff for for some some people there, um, and then shot show. So I went to SHOT Show. Okay. On your own. Not with, yeah. Okay. Just on my own. Went to SHOT Show, um, sitting in one of the bars with, like, 20 dudes from the unit. Where I'm, like, just, you know, just loving it. And um, a guy comes up to me who I just met, who was an SF guy. And he's like, hey, I'm going over to the tier party. You want to go? And I'm like, why would I want to? Why would I want to leave this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, who's going to be there? And he's like, uh, Chris Van Zant's over there. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Oh, the legend, Chris Van Zant. Yeah. So that. <laughs> so. <laughs> and and I was just yeah. at that point. I was I was. He's signing his books. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of on the up. I already hit rock bottom, and I was trying to build myself up, and 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 then I go I open the door. To the party, and Chris is standing right there. Wait, so wait, you, you guys had not seen or talked with one another in how long? Years. Wow. I can't remember. Very cool. Very, t- Chris, I don't, I mean, we've had. It, I mean, it was, it was, it was 2009 or before. Yeah. Like seeing each wow. other in the hallway. Yeah. Type wow. of thing. So. So it'd been, ten, it'd been 10 years. Yeah. So he opens up the door. He sees me. I see him. And he just gives me a big hug. Yeah. Was it one of those moments where you guys That's both could cool. take off running slow motion? I, I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> both of you with the hair. Because you both have the hair. Yeah, we're both really good looking. Yeah, you're... <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, Chris, I got so many private messages like, oh, you got to hook me up with him. And he's taken, you know. 
I am very much taken, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we go to the party, yeah, and, sorry, and, and Chris and Chris says, "Hey, let's go." And we we leave the party and go for a walk. We kind of catch up and go back into the party, and he introduces me to Jason. And uh, Jason is an amazing individual, and, and we had a great conversation that night. And and he's asking me what I'm doing. I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Talked about my past and. He's like, well, you need to come down a tier and check out, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You're talking about a factory. It's It can't be that <laughs> yeah. cool, right? I mean, you're coming in the techno world. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's, and and it was it was just a great conversation. We stayed yeah. up until about three in the morning talking. The next day, he's like, uh, he's like, hey, come, come. I got some meetings set up. Just come sit in my meetings with me. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to do that. So I go at ten o'clock meeting. I'm there, and we we sit down with a gentleman from overseas, and the guy's like, yeah, I need a plate. It needs to be this shape. It needs to stop these rounds. And and Jason's just writing it down. He's like, mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. So in that meeting was a Thursday. Uh, Tuesday, I drove down to Phoenix to see the factory, which it's it's an amazing factory. I mean, the detail that he has put into that is. Amazing, right? So I show up Tuesday. The the plate that he was in that meeting, they were building, and he shot it Thursday to test it. Wow. Right? That's Where do you fast. find that in the civilian world? No, not at all. You don't. Yeah. Right? I'm like, this is, this, this guy makes not a decisions. Custom. Yeah. No. He can... makes decisions. He moves. He's I'm like, okay, this he moves at the speed of of war. He moves at speed of at special ops, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm like, that's the type of commander I want to work for. Yeah. And he offered me a job and and you know, luckily, and I'm very thankful for him to bring me into the family, and and I've been I've been learning. You know, the first year, all I did, I mean, was shadow Chris and Jason, and I mean, basically gave me an education. Yeah, you know, on on the industry. I'm just curious though, coming from HP and now sitting in that room and hearing this guy talk and talk your language. Yeah. And knowing that the company that you're, the guy that who owns it, you're sitting next to, is doing something for the betterment of this person who's listening or who's talking and stuff. And and this is kind of your world, you know. Yeah, I'm like, uh, were you like in the moment? Was your I that, tried not to fall in love with. The okay, whole thing. okay, that's what I was gonna ask. Yeah, I mean, it's that's easy what I was to like, do. Right? I was like, man, eh, it's a factory, whatever. But in my mind, I'm like, I can't fall in love. It can't be this good. Yeah, you know. Until you went to the plant. I mean, yeah, and Chris is there. I mean, yeah, that that did it. (sighs) (laughs) Hey, operators operators are funny. Like, we, you see a lot of guys post career. um, They they branch out on their own and they do different things. And and some of them are almost scared to have other guys around them. And I I always laugh about that because it's silly because Lee and I are so much better because we have each other in our lives again. And then the other piece of that is I know how good that guy is. I know that the, the same stuff that made him great in his military career are the things that are going to make him great working for tier. And pretty much any task we throw at him, he's going to attack and he's going to figure out how to find fix, finish, whatever that is, just like he used to. So it's, it's been really refreshing to have him. I think it's probably scary for the people around us that there's two of us now that are like this. Yeah. But um, <laughs> for me, for me, it was huge to add, to add a guy of this caliber, to have somebody next to me, and then for us to be able to, uh, frankly, get better together um, has been has been really good and really important. I had somebody on the show, Kyle, um, who's been on now two episodes, that told me one time when we were just uh, privately talking that 
he went to work for a company at, when he got off active service. And after about a year working under that company, or it might have been even less, they were they came to him, the, the boss, and said, how do we get more of you? Where do we got to go? I, you know, because at that time frame, they hadn't really had too many people that were working there that were even military. But yet beyond that, we're not all built the same nope. just because we're veterans. Yeah. But it's like, how do we find that kind of individual? Where do we go? Because we've never done that kind of mining to to find that, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what you guys, if you guys have created chemistry, I can't imagine that now it's not like, you know, how can I bring three or four more here? To, to actually that can mesh, that it can takes, work together. It takes a very strong leader to bring an operator with our mindset on board. Yeah, because we will I could see challenge. The but if it's your quo. good leader, I want that. I right. want that at my table. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But, but that's what I mean. It's like if and and though you spend twenty plus years in the service you're doing, you have all these these soft skills and hard skills. When you go to the business, if you can find a leader that's willing to just spend a little bit of time on you, mm-hmm. like show me what right looks like. Yeah. You know, explain to me why you made that decision. Mm-hmm. That that's that's the key, and that's what Jason's done for me. Brought me in, and I sit in on all these different meetings, and I'm like, hey. Why, why'd you do that? Why'd you say that? And, and he tells me, I'm like, okay, yeah. now, I, now I know what right looks like. Yeah. I see, I see the philosophy. I see the strategic, you know, decision making. A phenomenal leader, obviously. Yeah. And, and not only that, but like you said, so, you know, typically we look for somebody on a, let's say a scale of one to 10 of individuals that we really uh, want to work for. You know, if I size myself up in leadership, I'd probably say I'm a, you know, whatever, a six or seven. I'm not looking for a seven or a six. I'm looking for maybe an eight. I don't probably want a nine because they're probably going to challenge me too much right now. And I'm not prepared for that if I'm really being honest with myself. So, you know, at the same token, if you have a leader then that looks for people that are going to be very close to them and challenge them or even in, even peers, but they're just missing a few little small elements, right. that takes a strong leader to do that. Yeah, and it really does. And and when you bring in one of us, you have you have you have a loyalty that comes in the house. Mm-hmm. You have you have someone who is thinking things and seeing things from a different lens because we have a different background, right? Mm-hmm. That's what's great about it. You know, uh, a diverse team, right, brings in a lot of different solutions to problems, yeah. you know? Um, we're talking about leadership. I love the topic of leadership, yeah. right? I mean, when you talk about a leader, when I, when I, searched, when I first started my um, interview process, with HPE or, or PayPal or Apple. I, I interviewed with all these companies and they're like, what kind of leader are you? You know, and I'm like, that's the stupidest question in the world, right? <laughs> Let me, and this was I actually in the yeah. HP meeting, I was like, how about, how about you ask me this, you know? Because what type of leader am I? I'm the type of leader who, well, who am I in charge of? Is it yeah. a bunch of 10-year-old Boy Scouts? Oh, or is a great it, point. Or am I in charge of some 40-year-old engineers? You're going to have to adapt your, well, adapt your leadership yeah. style Why don't too. you ask me this? Yeah. Where are the people now that you led? Mm. Well, Think about that. And do you keep in contact? Are they still in contact with you? Are they still in contact with you? But are, did, did you build them up? Or are they still in the same spot? Yeah. Because when you're a leader, you should be building people to take your place. Absolutely. Right? Or, or even excel. Or even excel. And that's okay. Yeah. Right. There's, you got to get a little over right? But, but as a leader, you know, you have to, you have to understand that there are people out there that can do things, certain things better than you, but to be able to coach and mentor them, Mm -hmm. you know, it's also like, how do I manage up? 
How do I manage my leader? How do I get what I need from him? That's another part of leadership, right? Yes. It's and how do I and how do I help the people? You know, and, that and how do I manage my peers? Peers is a which sometimes we're probably not real good at. No, right, right. You're my peer. You know, yeah. I don't have to listen to you. Right. I probably should. Yeah. You know, you're seeing things at a different lens. Um, you know, when things go wrong, do you blame everyone else or do you look at yourself? Okay, when things went wrong on the battlefield, the first thing I have to do is, okay, what did I do to contribute to that? Mm-hmm. Can I look at, okay, what could I have done different? Okay, I could have done this, I could have done that. Sometimes you're like, yeah, it's, it, and, I, and I'm not one to, I hate blame. You know, I don't like carry a blame thrower around and shoot people with it. But in, in the civilian world, there's a lot of blame throwers. You have to look at it and say, okay, I, I want to make sure that I didn't, I didn't make this a problem, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to be yeah. honest with yourself. Hey, look in the mirror. I was going to say, I, 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 uh, I love quotes, right? I love when words matter and the things you say matter. That's right. And my wife does a, ca- my wife does a calendar every year for her family with pictures and every month is whatever the main picture is. She does a different quote for each month and they all have some significance and she spends a bunch of time researching that. And I kind of got in that habit with things and I read one the other day. Before this podcast, Lee, and it's from Ronald Reagan, and he said, the greatest leader is not necessarily the one who does the greatest thing. He's the one that gets the people to do the greatest thing. That's right. And I love that. That's a great quote. Like, I love that. I think that's so awesome. I think, influence. you know, yeah, influence. influence. Make everybody better around you. Yeah. I learned that when I was working at the agency. My last four years in in the military, I spent at uh, the agency at headquarters representing the command. And what I realized was what I said and who I said it to matters. Yeah. We right. talked about that before off yeah. air. Yeah. yeah. About, about how, how it, you were describing how challenging that could be because you really have to think in that environment of everything you say and how impactful that could be. Right. And, and maybe not a good way. Right. And, and, and it was a really good growing moment for me because I went from, I was an OTC instructor so I finished my team time, OTC instructor, and I, I had to have a second knee surgery, right? So at, that was at the point where I was like, okay, at what point do I stop trashing my body and start using my brain more? Mm-hmm. I was like, I could go up there. They, they put out email out and said, hey, they had an opening. It was a, uh, a lieutenant colonel position up at the agency representing the command. And I'm like, you know, I think I can do that. And if I, you know, it's a safety net. If I can't do it, that's fine. I'll come back here and trash my body some more, right? Right. But I go up there, and the first briefing I had to do, I just bombed it, right? I talked about, you know, this, which squadron's going and how many birds and where the, the LZ is and where they're, you know, all this tactical stuff. And they're like, and then they start asking me questions, and it's all strategic stuff. And I'm like, I am not prepared for this brief, <laughs> right? Know your audience. Yeah, so, yeah. Know your weaknesses. Know too. your weaknesses, and that goes back to mentally <laughs> yeah. preparing. So, right. so after that, I I looked at it like mentally. Okay, here's what I want to, um, I want them to know. Yeah. What do they want to know? What what type of questions are they going to ask me? Ah. Right, and then you can then you start playing some games where you can set your brief up where it forces them to ask you questions, so you can talk about yes. things, and it's very strategic in that aspect. And I learned a lot about that. Like, you know, Lee, you got two minutes to brief the director on this hit in Syria. I end up talking to him for 30, 40 minutes, and everyone's mad at me, right? But it, it's a conversation. I'm not right. I'm not a briefer. You know, right. I, I have a conversation. Just talk to him like a man. Right. And it it was a great learning experience to work on those soft skills. 
um, up there. I got yeah. in trouble a few times, you know, but. But that, what you just described there, if you, if you take that skill, you can do that to the boardroom. You could do that in yes. an interview process. So you're going through an interview. Somebody's doing yeah. the same thing. You can take and channel the conversation where it goes into your favor. Right. And the problem I had with that job, yeah, I shouldn't say the problem. Um, HPE? No, uh, at the, oh, agency, the CIA. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I learned a lot. Yeah. I helped the command. I had, I worked for three different commanders when I was up there, which mm. was really unique in itself because I had a different relationship with each one of them. Mm. Right. And, and they brought me into their command team and I lit, you know, I had a voice there too. Mm-hmm. And one of my commanders, he told me, he's like, Lee, people don't even know you. Ha- you're probably the most second most influential NCO in the building and no one even knows. Right. That's what I wish I could. I could have went back to the unit and, and instilled that. Say, hey guys, we can get out of this fence. Yeah. We can be ambassadors for the unit. Yeah. And we carry a lot of weight. Yeah. You know, you take a sergeant major to the to those meetings, and if he's prepped, if he's ready, and he's learned that lesson, you know, he can he can move the needle and get help people get on the X and get after the bad guys. Most definitely. You know. I- I'm curious though, when you, when you're in a big company like HPE or something like that, um, there is opportunities where things can go wrong that you may be a part of. It's a, it's a big organization, so things can go apart yep. in a fray, and and sometimes you can kind of hide within that. Um, and and even if you fail or do something wrong, it's a bigger organization. It's not like everybody's going to know. Yeah. Then you come to tier tactical. And you come to a smaller organization where, you know, if you do something that um, is a mistake, it's it's yours. Magnified, right? So something I learned at the agency about that. I'm not making decisions for myself when I'm at Tier Tactical. I'm not making decisions at when I brief the director. He asked me a question. He's like, so what do you think about this? I don't tell him what I think about it. Mm-hmm. I tell him what my commander wants him to know, right? So being able to shadow Chris and being able to shadow Jason, I learn what their what the philosophy is and, and what direction we're going and how he thinks. So therefore, when the question comes to me, I'm like, okay, how does Jason want to answer this question? Mm-hmm. And that's how I'm going to answer it. So... I might make a mistake, and I will, and I have, right? But it's it's the azimuth just it's the mistake is very little, yeah. Because I'm thinking it from his perspective, and though it might be a mistake, it's it's not a it's not a 180 out. So you, you know? understand his vision is and, what we're really talking about, and that's what an NCO does, right? right. Commander's right. vision, and then what do we yeah. do? Yeah. We make it happen, yeah. right? Yeah, that's. That's what we do. If I have a team of individuals, it goes back to, you know, uh, what type of leader are you and, and who are you leading and everything. But if I'm um, if I'm able to pass on my vision in a way in which my people can take it and it becomes their vision because they've embraced it and yep. they start living it and every action that they take is, you know, or everything that they do is based around my vision, then that's a... An amazing team. Yeah. You know, unstoppable. Team. Yeah. Uh, unstoppable. Right. Because the vision is, you know, it's not like I just, whatever Jason feeds me, I eat. Right. I listen. Yeah. I dissect it and I ask questions and okay, yes, I can get on board with that. Yeah. You know, and then also when, when we disagree, 
The commander listens and he says, yep, I understand, or this is how we're going, slap the table. Everyone gets in the boat and you row. You don't walk out and say, ah, stupid, what are, what are we doing, right? You know, everyone knows those guys. Yeah. I'm not doing that. Yes, you are. Yeah. You know, get in the boat and row. It's your job. Get your crayons in color. You know, that's your, and that's how it should be, right? Be part of a team. Don't don't be the guy who's like, well, I'm not rowing. This is stupid. Well, go find a fucking other job. Yeah, right. Totally. I don't want to work with you. I think that you know, being five years removed from the military, but you know, in the military, being a part of a, you know a very very successful organization and all the myriad of leaders you have over the years, and then moving out to the private sector and working for an entrepreneur that's that's built from the ground up two businesses. I think it's back to what what we always did as NCOs. It's understanding commander's intent, and I think that's a two way street. I think the person that you work for the better they can convey the path forward, their direction, their mindset, and why they want to do the things that they're doing, the better subordinate leaders can execute it. And then I think it's our job to inform commanders that it's, it's that candor, it's that being open and honest upward to your leadership so that you help influence those decisions. And then I think when errors happen, to go back to the earlier point, those errors are much more minor, those mistakes, when the the leadership and the subordinate leaders all fully understand the commander's intent or that business direction. I think the better we all get that, the better we execute it. And then those errors are just minor. So you roll with them rather than being something catastrophic because, well, I didn't know what he wanted. So I just did X, Y, and Z. And then you have a, a big catastrophic failure. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think, I think that same stuff that makes commanders successful in the military and unit successful is the same thing that makes businesses successful. Yeah. Strong. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's almost like a, a risk mitigation factor too. Like if everybody's like trying to adhere to the plan, like of course errors will be made, but at least you're not going to be way off over there. Yeah. You're like, not like, like you said, Chris. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I, I haven't thought of that. Lee, thank you for coming on the show, brother. Thank you for coming Thanks all for this way. Me. I'm glad you have a cousin that's only nine miles away or nine minutes nine away. Nine minutes away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. How awesome is that? Yeah, and that you have a boss that allows you guys to do what you do and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you were recently just down the road in Savannah and um, being able to come by here and be on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Honored man. to have you here. Appreciate it. Uh, Chris, thank you so much again for coming back on. Thanks, brother. Thanks for getting up so early. Thanks for having me, fellas. I'll, any day. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. All right. That'll be the wrap. Thanks, everyone. Cool. Yeah.